Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. It is great to have you with us on a Thursday morning. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. Good morning to you. And doesn't it feel like this week flew by? I can't believe we're already at Thursday. I know. It's amazing. This is what happens when you're getting close to the holidays. Your schedule fills up. You have a lot of errands to run. Thanksgiving's around the corner. That's what we're dealing with. Just a week away. And as, first of all, we work for a great company. Hubbard Radio is the owner of our company. And we have five radio stations. And our company here a week out from Thanksgiving is providing us with a a holiday feast, a Thanksgiving feast this morning. Our friends way down the hall, The Riz Show at 105.7 The Point and Remy and Casey on WIL and The Courtney Show on 106.5 The Arch with the Brando and Chris Convy. And then Favaz and you, man, are right next door. And we're all being treated to breakfast by our company this morning. I hope free food. Why I got into sports media. If it's free, it's me. Right? Yeah, absolutely. People don't understand free food out in front of media people. I don't think oh. they realize the stampede and just the general sense of urgency that arises. It's like uh, Darwinism. So Only the strongest survive. This is supposed to begin this uh, holiday feast for us, the morning show people. And they've got table set up in the hallway right outside our door. It's supposed to begin at 7.30, and I guarantee you that every show is going to take a commercial break at 7.29 and be standing in line. So we need to be a step ahead. They're playing checkers. We need to play chess. That's exactly right. We need to make sure that we're either first in line or that we're after everyone else because the last thing you want is to be in the hallway fixing your plate, and then you realize you're back on the air. Yeah. You don't want that to happen. Can't do that. And I I don't know about you, but I want to beat the Riz Show. Oh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to get to the and spread after ev- those guys. Oh, then you don't get any. <laughs> That's right. And some of those guys are a little gross. You know, you, sometimes you don't want to have their fingers in your food. Yeah, you, if you listen to the show, which you shouldn't be, you're listening to us. You know, they do some gross things over there. They do. Last night, the Cy Young Award winners were announced in the National League. It's Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers. He beat out Zach Wheeler of the Phillies, St. Louis, and Max Scherzer of the Nationals and Dodgers. Finished in third place. Burns was 11 and 5 with a 2.43 ERA, he only threw 167 innings, but he did strike out 234 and he had a whip Michelle of 0.94. Wheeler won more games, had a little bit higher ERA, 2.78, but he threw a lot more innings, 213 innings for Wheeler, 167 for Burns. Wheeler struck out 247 hitters and had a whip of 1.008. <laughs> and our guy, Max Scherzer, was really good. 15-4 and four with a 2.46 with his two teams. He threw 179 innings and struck out 236. I would have voted for Scherzer. I think a lot of people were thinking they would vote for Scherzer, and I'm kind of surprised he didn't win it, even though Corbin Burns was 
dynamic and dominant this season. You mentioned the the ERA. So he also led the majors in strikeouts per nine inning, which yeah. is 12.6. He ranked third in walks per nine innings, 1.83, and was first in homers, 0.38. And according to Elias, he's the first pitcher in modern history to finish in the top three of all those categories. The only person even close was Pedro Martinez in 99, who finished fifth in those categories. So that illustrates how dominant he was. But I sometimes wonder if name recognition matters in situations like this and even though Corbin Burns is one of the the preeminent pitchers in baseball Max Scherzer is a guy he's one of the biggest stars in baseball and when he goes to the Dodgers and pulls out the performance that he had I wondered how much sway that that would have he was unbelievable with the Dodgers and I am a big proponent of especially with pitchers of guys that pitch in big-time situations. With the Dodgers, 7-0 and with a 1.98 earned run average, 68 and a third innings, and 89 strikeouts with L.A. So you could have easily given Scherzer the award, and I don't think anybody would have complained, except for the people that voted for Corbin Burns or Zach Wheeler. In the American League, it was Robbie Ray. He comes out on top and wins his first Cy Young Award in really his first great year. Yeah. He's a free agent. And I'm intrigued to see if winning a Cy Young Award and having one great year gets him a big long-term contract. In the history of baseball, that's happened a lot, where guys have had one great year and been able to benefit from it. But especially with a lefty pitcher that's never really had, he's never been great. I wonder if that's going to turn him into a multi-million dollar, $27, $28 million a year pitcher. I'm sure because pitching is the most valuable commodity in baseball. So even if it is one season, even if he had a 6.62 ERA the season prior, the fact that he improved his control and was able to be what he was this season, which is a Cy Young Award winning pitcher, a team is going to pay for that. In the MVP, which will be announced tonight, Bryce Harper of Philadelphia is the favorite in the National League over Juan Soto of Washington and Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres. In the American League, I think, and tell me if you agree with me, that Shohei Otani is a prohibitive favorite over the two Blue Jays, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Marcus Simeon. I think it would be one of the biggest shocks of the award season is Shohei Otani does not win this award. He has done something that we have never seen in our lifetimes. And I would be very surprised, despite the great seasons from Simeon and Vladdy Jr., if they were to not give the award to Shohei Otani. Yesterday was the qualifying offer acceptance deadline. The only player that accepted his team's qualifying offer was Brandon Belt of the Giants, who will stay there for $18.4 million. So those players not accepting the qualifying offer and are out on the market. Nick Castellanos of the Reds, Michael Conforto of the Mets, Carlos Correa of the Astros, Freddie Freeman of the Braves, Rossell Iglesias of the Angels, Robbie Ray of the aforementioned Blue Jay, Corey Seager of the Dodgers, Marcus Simeon of the Blue Jays, Trevor Story of the Rockies, Chris Taylor of the Dodgers, and Justin Verlander of the Astros, who did get a new contract, $25 million for one year with a one-year player option. A lot of intriguing names on this list, Randy, but I want to circle back to Brandon Belt. That's a big piece for the Giants to be able to make sure that he stays. And especially with two things happening. Number one, he really had his best year last year. And with Buster Posey retiring, they need that bat, especially that left-handed bat in the middle of their lineup. So that is a big keep for... San Francisco, and I would be surprised if he didn't get an extension similar to what Brandon Crawford got. Crawford got 
34 over 2 from mm-hmm. them late in the season. I'd be surprised if Belt didn't sign an extension as well. Meanwhile, the new Cardinal hitting uh, Car- Cardinal bench coach, Skip Schumacher, joined the fast lane yesterday. And as a guy who grew up in the Cardinal system, as you might expect, he's excited to be back. Pretty overwhelming for me, you know, quite honestly, and my family. And, you know, we had, um, you know, been drafted in 2001 there and the being in the big leagues in 2005, winning a couple World Series there, getting traded from there, and then all coming back. It's just... Um, it's just surreal, and we're just so thankful that, you know, we get this opportunity again as a family. And, you know, my kids weren't young enough. Uh, we're young and we're so young, they didn't really get to experience, you know, all St. Louis had to offer and really the baseball side of it. Um, they remember a little bit of it. Um, we have to show them pictures and videos and that type of thing. But, you know, now that my kids are, you know, eighth grade and sixth grade, you know, they get to, you know, see really what St. Louis is all about. And we're just thrilled about the whole experience. So essentially, he was in San Diego where the zoo costs like 65 bucks. Mm-hmm. Great zoo, mm-hmm. but he comes to St. Louis where the zoo is free, and they're going to be here for the summer. Free zoo in St. Louis, but the weather in San Diego, Randy. Yeah, it was pretty good. Like, I'll pay for the zoo if I get the weather. Well, our weather can be good on t- at times. Sure, for, but the th- baseball's for 30 days here. a year. That's right. You know what San Diego does not have? They don't have a free zoo, and they don't have baseball heaven. They don't okay? have the... And you can't put a price yeah. tag on heaven. Exactly. Especially baseball heaven. B- BFIB That's and, right. of course, uh, the BLIS are here Correct. Well. But I will say that is pretty cool for Skip, who had such an unbelievable experience here, and that this organization is such an important part of his life, but his kids were too young to really get yeah. to experience that. It's interesting how everyone's life unfolds and how special is it that he gets to bring them back and be able to bring them to the ballpark and really get to have them be in the environment that he thrived in as a player and get to see him now in action as a coach. I think that's pretty special. It's very cool. The Blues have a four-game losing streak. They've lost their last three in regulation. They welcome the San Jose Sharks, the surprising San Jose Sharks, to town tonight. The Sharks are very young. They don't have Evander Kane, who was their leading goal scorer last year. He's out because he gambles a little bit too much, allegedly. And so the Sharks are in town, and the Blues will try to snap their losing streak tonight. We have it for you here on 101 ESPN, 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff. You better see a sense of urgency out of this team. Yeah, I would say so. After reading about, you know, the skate yesterday and the the post-game quotes, that's the one thing. Even if they end up losing the game, you certainly want to see them break the streak mm-hmm. and come out with a win. I More than anything, I want to see intensity tonight. Yeah, they better be intense, and they better skate. I would say. Yeah. Other, otherwise, too. Coach Bruby's going to be mad. Yes, he will. And also tonight, you've got Thursday Night Football. You've got the most overrated team in the league, the New England Patriots, taking on the Atlanta Falcons. The New England Patriots are 6-4, and four, and people are saying, oh, Belichick's building another dynasty. Belichick's going to have a playoff team. They, they're going to go to the Super Bowl with their rookie quarterback. Listen to the wins that the New England Patriots have. Michelle. I'm listening. I'm listening. They've won at New York against the Jets. They've won at Houston against the Texans. They've won at home against the Jets. Those are their first three wins. They went to L.A. and did beat the Chargers. Good win there. Impressive. Went to Carolina and beat the Panthers. That was when uh, the uh, former Jet, Sam Darnold, had reached the depths of his play before getting hurt and getting benched. And then they beat Cleveland 
last weekend 45 to 7 the factory of sadness those are their wins their losses this year they lost to our dolphins That's of right. course they lost to the saints they lost to the bucks they lost to the cowboys they beat really bad teams and they lose to good teams now tonight they have atlanta so they'll probably come away with a win but then after that they get Tennessee, they get Buffalo, they get Indianapolis at Indy, they get Buffalo again before wrapping up with Jacksonville and Miami. They're going to go after tonight, they're going on a four-game losing streak. Do you think that the Patriots are going to make the playoffs? No. Okay, are you so confident that if they do, you'll spin the wheel? Yeah. All right. Andrew, write it down. Write if the down, Patriots Andrew. make the playoffs, <laughs> Randy's spinning the wheel because I think they could definitely be a playoff team. I believe in Mac Jones. By the way, I was reading because I get like endless emails, like three a day from the NFL. I had no idea that Chris Long did a pregame show on Amazon Prime for yeah, the NFL. Yeah, he does. Has he done it all season? He did it last year too, I believe. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. How about that? Chris Long is a media mogul. He is. And then they have Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer doing the games. Yeah. Which is cool. And then they've got a kid's version, I guess, on Amazon or something like that. Why are you on the NFL subscription list? I have no idea. I don't I don't Smash know how that, that started. Smash that unsubscribe button, Randy. Yeah, probably should. Congratulations to Mizzou running back Tyler Beatty. He is a semifinalist for the 2021 Doak Walker Award presented annually to college football's premier running back. Tyler Beatty, the only running back in the country with four games of 200-plus rushing yards this season. Congratulations. Yeah, Tyler Tyler Beatty. And uh, uh, one of our salespeople, Maggie Teslowski, very happy this morning. And some of our friends over at the Missouri Valley Conference office are very sad because Loyola Chicago has left the Valley for the A-10. Now they're going to play here in St. Louis every year. So Maggie, you'll get more of an opportunity to see them up close and personal. But they had been a really good member of the Valley. They had two great tournament runs Mm -hmm. under Porter Moser. And so they will depart the Valley and go to the A-10, which also is another more convenient rivalry for SLU in the A-10. Absolutely. Which is a good year, a good thing to have. But uh, now the, the Valley, seems like they get these the dominant teams that go deep into the tournament, which State did it, leaves. Creighton does it, leaves. Now yeah. Loyola does it, they leave. I, I kind of am bummed out for the St. Louis-based Missouri Valley Conference, which is a, a fun, great conference, but they just can't keep all their teams. I know, that is a bummer. But uh, I am glad for SLU that Loyola Chicago is going to be in their conference because you're right, I think that that could be a great rivalry, especially geographically. And I'm excited because that means that Sister Jean might be coming to town and I need, yeah, some, face- I need some FaceTime with her because she knows what she did. Yeah, believe me. Sister, she knows. She's, first of all, she's not coming to town for a regular season game. And second of all, she's 99 or 100. Randy, she found her way to the tournament last year during a pandemic. Father Shh. time is undefeated. R- well. I'm just saying. She's got Not the, wishing bad on anybody. Randy, she's got the ear of the Lord. I saw it in action firsthand last season. Uh, she, she's not the only one, though. She's his homie, straight up. By the way. She, in the pregame speech, outlined exactly what needed to happen, and then it happened. Yeah, it okay. Went right down the list. She knows what she Sister did. Jean, she's, she is. Improper benefits is what I'm calling it. She's a, she's a great mascot. She's not a mascot. She's a nun. She's a nun that... When people see her, they think Loyola Rambler basketball, right? That is true. She's the face of the program. Yeah, she is, totally. So good for her. And welcome to the A-10, Sister Jean. That's right. That's Michelle. <laughs> I'm Randy. We're off and running on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Sick of it. Coming to your way next on 101 ESPN. I'll say Cool Whip. Cool Whip. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I'm sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. Michelle, let's get started here, and I will start, and we kind of touched on this in the first segment. So the national media, because Bill Belichick won Super Bowls with Tom Brady, they fawn all over the guy, and it doesn't matter who he gets. They say, oh, whoever he gets is going to be a great player. They don't look at the schedule. They don't analyze the team. They just see see that, oh, they've won five out of six. They must be good because it's Bill Belichick. That is not the case. They aren't that great. And for the national media to keep saying they are, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of you trying to diss Bill Belichick. I know you don't like him because Product of Brady. I know you don't like him because of Spygate, Randy. I understand that. Well, that means 10 games under 500 without Brady. Yeah, but the Jeff Fisher, what's the sample size? It's like 110 games. He's got a worse winning percentage than Jeff Fisher if you don't have Tom Brady starting for him. Seven and nine? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going bleeping seven and nine. Well, yes, Jeff, you are. are. Jeff, you are. I hate to break it to you. That's exactly what you're going to do. I understand. But you can't just remove what he did with Brady. Any good manager needs good talent. Any good coach needs good talent. And he didn't win just with Tom Brady. He went out and acquired a lot of talent around him. He's the one that puts the scheme together. He's the head of the snake. Everything in that organization runs through him. You think Josh McDaniels is the one really running the offense? It was Belichick and Brady. You think that any of these assistant coaches that have left to become head coaches elsewhere were really doing what they were doing without having Belichick's fingerprints all over it? No. That's why they can't have success outside of Foxborough. Okay, so let me put it in these terms. Would an NFL coach with an overall record of 66 and 76 be hired by another team after this season? Probably, because the NFL loves to recycle head coaches. They love to recycle head coaches, even losing ones. They've never recycled Spags. Which surprises me, actually. Or Linehan. Doesn't it surprise you that Spags didn't Kinda get more not, run? No as interviews. A, uh, that surprises me yeah. because, yeah, the Rams' tenure was ugly, but this is a guy who's won Super Bowls and been to Super Bowls and proven that he's a very good defensive mind. So it actually – maybe he – actually, he was on with us, right, and said that it's something yeah. that he would listen to. So I, I – but it feels like – they're trending younger in the so NFL. The they thing. want the young hotshot co- coordinator. They want the McVeighs of the world. Joe Gibbs wins three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. John Harbaugh builds dominant teams with Joe Flacco and with Lamar Jackson. I just want to see Belichick do it sometime. How many? Andy Reid. Let me ask you a serious goes question. Goes to five NFC Championship games with Donovan McNabb. Wins with Michael Vick. At least makes it to the playoffs. And now wins with Mahomes. How many head coaches would have had, what's the word I can say on radio, the the um, stomach to go with Tom Brady over Drew Bledsoe when Drew Bledsoe came back? Most head coaches would have, despite what they saw out of Brady, would have never okay. gone with Brady over Bledsoe. Let's, he deserves credit for that. Let's play this game then. And he drafted him. If Bob Kraft would have gotten his first choice and they would have gotten Mike Martz, because the reason that Belichick has the job is because the Rams signed Martz to become the next head coach here after the 99 season. 
Mike Martz benched Kurt Warner for Mark Bulger. Would he have not benched Drew, Drew Bledsoe for Tom Brady? I don't know. Mike Martz could have been Bill Belichick. He could have, but he's not. No, he's not. And wasn't and Kurt, we could have kept wasn't Kurt dealing with injuries, too, at the time? Yeah. Right, so it's a little different. Just saying. No, Brady, Bledsoe got hurt. Brady when got he came the job. Back, though. Warner got hurt. Bulger got the job. That's just the way the coaches roll. Yeah. Trent Green got hurt. Kurt Warner got the job. It happens. I understand you're upset about Spygate, Randy, but. I am. The enemy of our enemy is our friend. They beat the Rams in the Super Bowl after the Rams left St. Louis. You oh, need to give him a little shine. I'm just saying that the national media thinks that he can't lose. Well, the fact of the matter is he has without Brady. That's true, but based on the entire body of work, which does in fact include the time that Tom Brady was in New England, he was pretty good. So I I think that I'm more inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially when Mac Jones is showing that he might be exactly what they were looking for. I would like to see him build around Mac Jones. It might not happen in a year. It might not happen in two years. I want to see when Mac Jones evolves into what he's going to be, what what Belichick does with them. A.J. McCarron, uh, Tua... The guy on the NFL network or uh, on SEC network now. Uh, Greg McElroy. Greg McElroy. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Let's see how Mac Jones works out. <laughs> you just do not want to, in any universe, think that the Patriots could be good again. Not without Brady. And you know what? When you spin the wheel, the wheel, when they make the playoffs, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to design the wheel myself. Okay. And it's going to Your be love. all Patriots based things. Okay, good. Like so it. whatever it lands on, your punishment that's, is going to be Patriots-based. Okay. Okay, well, let's just go to the text line because I feel like I, okay. was, I was sick of your take. <laughs> so there you go. Or Andrew, if you have one, feel free. Uh, yes, the St. Louis Blues have had a tough time yeah. scoring goals against backup goaltenders. Last game they played the, the Arizona Coyotes. They went up against Scott Wedgwood, who just... Isn't that a was, color, by the way? Wedgwood? Wedgwood blue. Sounds like a golf course. It does sound like a golf course. Squeezing a quick nine over at Wedgwood. It could be a crayon. You know, they have those crayons that are like, they have like a hundred of them in the box. Right, right. For sure. Okay, just I'm Googling Wedgwood blue and yes, it is a color. All right. It's kind of like the Colorado Avalanche old color. Learn something new every day. Wedgwood blue. Mm -hmm. But the Blues, they just have a tough time scoring against backup goaltenders. Even the other night against the Carolina Hurricanes, their third string goaltender, St. Louis native, by the way, Joseph Wool. He played outstanding against the Blues. And I am sick of it. The Blues can't score against backup goaltenders. That's a really good one. It's been bothering me. And there's no excuse for it. What do we got on the text line? Let's get a couple of those in. Well, we would, I just mentioned the Blues. This texture from the 314 says, I am sick of having excitement that the Cardinals will sign a big-time free agent, but no national reporters are predicting that they land one. Uh, don't be excited about it. Because it's not going to happen? Not going to happen. But how many national reporters were all over the Cardinals getting Nolan Arenado before it happened? At this, at this time last year, no one was saying the Cardinals are going to make a big splash. They're going to acquire Nolan Arenado. The most money the Cardinals have spent on free agents, they spent $85 million twice. Once on Mike Leake, once on Dexter Fowler. Uh, they, they are not, they, they like to know what they're getting in a trade. And, and so I, I think that they just want that cost certainty. True, but just because you're not seeing their name attached to a certain player in the national media does not mean that it won't happen. Exactly. That's true. But I'm telling you, it won't happen. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Maybe not the national media. The local media is going to tell you.
This texter from the 636 is sick of the cold already. Yeah, that's... Michelle? Winter is stupid. We know it's coming. It's right around the corner. I will say, though, we've been incredibly lucky with November weather. Yes, in the morning, you wake up and you need that extra layer, and your your soul dies a little bit when it's, you know, pitch black and freezing cold. But throughout the day, it's been warming hey, up, so I'm not complaining. The other day, went and saw my buddies Dennis Biedenstein and uh, Clayton McGowan over at Fox Run. Might have been the nicest golf day of the year. Really? Yeah, it was fabulous. Two days ago. Uh, was it two... I don't know, whatever. Tuesday, I guess it was, yeah. And great guys, too. Good good company. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Andrew Marsh. Appreciate it. Yes. Andrew Marsh uh, repping the blues today with his Stanley Cup championship cap. I like it. Yeah, I'm actually going to the game tonight. All right. It's the first time that uh, I've been to the Enterprise Center in like three years. Oh, nice. You're going to have it since the pandemic. I was there last week and it was electric. Good deal. I guess it hasn't been three years, but it feels Feels like like it. it. Yeah. Thanks for your texts. We do appreciate it. We're going to get some uh, food. Greg Amzinger (laughs) of MLB Network will join us next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg Amzinger of MLB Network, kind enough to join us. Greg has, uh, he's been taking advantage of the weather to try to get in his last few days of golf for 2021. This morning, as I see, it's 48 degrees and foggy in Montclair, New Jersey. But it's going to be up to 63 this afternoon. Are you, and first of all, good morning, are you, with your preparation for tonight's MVP award show, going to be able to get out and hit a few? You are asking the greatest question ever. And the fact that you looked up the weather is really intriguing to me because the fog that you're discussing is literally the reason I can't play today. Which is probably why I'm on the radio with you right now. (laughs) The fog is so intense that I can't play. They're not letting anyone tee off. And therefore, the delay is going to last so long, I won't even be able to get in 18 holes in before I have to get ready to go into work to host the MVP show. So this is how hard it is to be Greg Amsinger right now. These are the things I stress out about. Greg, I have a temperature where I won't play below. And that temperature is 50. And today here in St. Louis, the high is going to be 48. Do you have a temperature that you will not hit the course when it's below? Uh, yes, when they don't allow me on the golf okay, course. Good. You let me play. I'll play in 20-degree weather. Matter of fact, the best event we have at my, I'm going to sound very bougie right now, at my country club, <laughs> uh, we have what's called a one-club tournament. And, Randy, I need, I need to invite you to this next year. You're going to fly here to New Jersey. You'll stay at the, uh, the, the Amsinger Manor, and, and we will go to the club. And it is you pick one golf club. You play nine holes of competitive golf. You tee off with it. You chip with it. You putt with it. You hold one club in your hand, and you try to play the best nine-hole score you can. Now, the obstacle here is – there's a bunch of Santa Clauses driving around. <laughs> By the way, this is in this is in December, okay? So it could be 10 degrees. There's been snow on the ground for this tournament. But you, there's a Santa Claus driving around, and he has different beverages in his cart, and you have to 
have a beverage per hole. So it ends up being one of the great competitions. And I love it because you have no idea what weather-wise, what you're dealing with. It can be 10 degrees out there. I'll play no matter what. Greg, I have played in a one-club, one-ball tournament. It was at Forest Park many years ago on April Fool's Day. I don't know if they still do it, but it was old school golf balls with the rubber bands and I actually knocked the cover off the ball with my five iron, used a five iron and I ended with a a ball of rubber bands. Wow. Hey, I've seen your ball striking is really impressive. I didn't know it was that good back in the day, but wow, you knocked the cover off the ball, Randy. You can tell everyone you did that. That's great. Also, Greg, a drink per hole. I'm inviting myself, so I'll be there, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you you would have an absolute blast. It's so fun. Okay, well, I want to ask you about Robbie Ray. We saw him win the Cy Young Award last night in the American League. I thought his son, by the way, stole the show. Asher was very, very entertaining. I'm sure you got a kick out of that, too. But, you know, he became a free agent. Where do you think he ends up? I think he's going to the Angels. That that's that's the pitcher they need to go get. They just went out and gave over twenty million for a one year deal to Syndergaard. It looks like Verlander is gonna go back to the Houston Astros. The Angels have to man up because now it's not only about getting to the postseason, but it's making Shohei Otani happy. And if you've seen any of the quotes that came out since he went back to Japan, he was stressed out playing on a bad team in the second half. Even though he had this magical season, he really is a team-first guy. And he's the biggest star in the game. I know there are a lot of loyalists to Mike Trout. I am one of them. I think Mike Trout's an amazing player, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best players we've ever seen. But Shohei Otani is rewriting the rules and what we think is possible. He is the most captivating star. So the Angels need to put a supporting cast around him. He's never going to be an every fifth day pitcher. He might be their most talented pitcher uh, every year. He's a game one pitcher if they get to a postseason series. But you can't just add Noah Syndergaard. You have to add other pitchers, and they need a dynamite lefty. Robbie Ray has figured it out. The coiling that he does, turning his back to the batter, has changed everything for him. And you, you can't hit his fastball. It's, it's an invisible, and you just can't pick it up. So I think Robbie Ray and the Angels makes way too much sense. He's over the age of 30. They don't need to pay him for a long period of time. People are saying Max Scherzer. I think the Dodgers are going to overpay to ensure they keep Max Scherzer. So I think Robbie Ray to the Angels is where he's going to go. And, yes, you're right, Asher. I'm telling you what right now. That kid had TV hair, and he, <laughs> yeah. he, he stole the camera with, with, while he was missing his four front teeth. It was an incredible display of TV talent. I knew, Greg, that game would respect game there. I knew you'd appreciate Asher. Without a doubt. He was awesome. Greg, can we move past Otani as the AL MVP quickly? Is there any doubt about him? No, no, he'll win unanimously today, unanimously. So let's look at the National League. And I loved, and we had the debate last week when you and Harold discussed the difference between player of the year and MVP. But this is going to be the player of the year. Who is going to be the player of the year in the National League? I think the player of the year in the National League will be Bryce Harper because there's still some old-school voters that believe that you know not every month on the baseball calendar is created equal. So even though you get off to a red-hot start in April and May, uh, it's not the same as, as, as being the guy that is the heart and soul of the lineup for a team that's scrapping and clawing its way into the postseason. And Bryce Harper's numbers were good enough in terms of merit on their own, OPS over 1,000, impressive 
uh, season. Is it the most jaw-dropping? Is it the most unique to me? No, I, I would vote for Fernando Tatis Jr. I think what he did, if you follow baseball, is more unique, more impressive, more valuable to the sport. Uh, to be a 40-homer shortstop, to be the most dynamic base runner, to be a, a, a polarizing figure defensively only because of the injury that he sustained. And, oh, by the way, he went on the IL and came back with a new swing to help his team. And I, I know this sounds crazy, but when we went to that game, Randy, and, and we watched the Padres play, right, against the Cardinals, uh, that weekend series where he got into it with Manny Machado and dropped pop-ups in center field and openly was pouting about playing in the outfield. Not verbally, but you saw the body language. He didn't want to play in the outfield. Mm-hmm. When his team needed him most in that important series, that drama I think is going to hold him back from winning this. So I, I, I would vote for Tatis. A 40-homer shortstop is incredibly unique. There are going to be some – analytical guys that think that Juan Soto's on base percentage is so dramatically impressive over every other stat that he deserves it because none of these guys are in the postseason. So his numbers are more impressive. The way I would debunk that is that Juan Soto wasn't playing in a meaningful game. He was a spoiler in the second half and there was no one on the on-deck circle. Why would you ever let Juan Soto beat you when you're facing the Washington Nationals with a depleted roster? You're going to go after the next guy. So his on-base percentage to me isn't what everyone is, is, is foaming at the mouth for. I, it's not as impressive to me. So I would go with Tatis. I don't think that's who's going to win. I think Harper is going to be the NL MVP. Greg, you mentioned the analytics guy, so I want to bring up a question that Randy and I discussed yesterday. Simple question, yet a complex question. Have analytics ruined baseball? <laughs> no, they haven't ruined baseball. There, A lot of people enjoy the game. I enjoy the game. I'm annoyed with some of the nuances that have been added to the game uh, because of analytics. Last night's show was a great example. Uh, you know, Corbin Burns with less than 170 innings. Less than 170 innings, which I believe was a goal of Goose Gossage's back in the day, who was a reliever, <laughs> who was to throw 167 True. innings, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the game has changed so dramatically that it is annoying that Corbin Burns was going to be held back from something I believe he deserved. I thought his dominance in the innings of which he pitched earned him that right. I have many friends, Harold Reynolds being one of them, that thinks Zach Wheeler should have won the award because he gave his team over 213 innings, and that matters. Well, time out. Zach Wheeler also was on a team with one of the worst bullpens in baseball. So there was no better option in the bullpen. There was no better option. You had to leave him out there. Corbin Burns had one of the best bullpens in baseball. So these decisions, guys aren't tapping out. They're not waving the manager out of the dugout to take me out of the baseball game. Okay? That doesn't happen. They're not in control of their destiny because of analytics. We don't want these pitchers facing a lineup for the third time. That's not their fault. Ian Anderson throwing a no-hitter in in the World Series, and he's taken out after five innings. Um, You know, uh, unfortunately, old-school guys like us, we're more upset about it than Ian Anderson is. He's okay with it because all these guys have been growing up 
through analytics and they understand this is the future. I think everything's cyclical. I think we'll eventually get back to a bit of normalcy, but it will never be what it once was. You're never going to see a guy like Jack Morris stay in a game and pitch for 10 innings. You'll never, ever see that again in a big game. Hey, Greg, one more thing. We had a texter earlier that says he's sick of the Cardinals not being connected to any free agents by the national media. You work with four or five of the top insiders in all of baseball. Are you hearing the Cardinals connected to any of the big-time free agents? I've heard from all my friends. Uh, I think Ken Rosenthal's got his finger on the pulse of this more than anyone. Uh, the Cardinals are in the free agent shortstop market. They are 100% in it. Now, does that mean they're going to sign one of these guys? I'm not sure. Uh, but they are shopping around. And to me, that is the deepest uh, genre of this free agent class. It's the shortstop market. If you want to be excited during a winter and you know your team, which was already in the postseason, uh, and there's excitement around you know, new leadership in the dugout, uh, I, I don't know how you can be frustrated when you know, and if Ken Rosenthal is reporting that the Cardinals are definitely in the market shopping around in this free agent class for shortstops, that's exciting. There are huge difference makers in this class. So instead of being frustrated with Noah Syndergaard going to the Angels and maybe Verlander going back to the Houston Astros and, and Barrio signing an extension and you don't hear the Cardinals yet, the Cardinals are shopping on the most expensive aisle at Costco. So I get it. People are walking out with toilet paper, but let's get excited about the booth section because they're going to be walking out with some really nice stuff in their oversized cart (laughs) (laughs) in Costco, which I still have a hard time understanding at Costco. But anyway, that's my point. I believe they will walk away with a free agent shortstop, and that will be gigantic news. Love it. Uh, Just quick fun fact, 1973, Mike Marshall, 92 games, no starts. As a reliever, he had 179 innings. The following year, he gets traded from Montreal to the Dodgers, pitched in a record 106 games, no starts. A reliever, 208 and a third innings. (laughs) Like I said, those days are over. <laughs> Those days are way, way over. Maybe not for a reliever. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. I, but that, to me, that sounds like abuse. I yeah, it kind of was. With you. Yeah, <laughs> that he, was he, abuse. He was never over 109 innings the rest of his career. Yeah, that's just not good. So there's there's a fine line, Randy. You know, we don't want we don't want relievers going 200 innings. Uh, but you know, <laughs> there's a little normalcy. We'll get to it someday. We will. We will. Yeah, and uh, I love the one one club tournament. This is a great idea. All right, I want to put together a really pretty invitation. I'll send it to you in the mail for next year. You're the man. I'll talk to you later. I see you guys. Hey, Greg, thanks. <laughs> that is the one and only Greg Amzinger, lead anchor, MLB Network. Watch him tonight on MLB for the MVP award show. Cardinals are shopping. How about that? Good to hear, isn't it? Ken Rosenthal reporting that the Cardinals are in the shortstop market. I still think Trevor Story is a possibility. I would like it. So I don't be- I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. But they're walking around Costco, they're snacking, they're looking. Nothing wrong with snacking at Costco. Hey, I've while you're there, while you're there, Cardinals, been. pick up some Propel. I'm, I'm always getting my Propel at Costco. Yeah. And they've got some really good stuff. I'm a Costco guy. Is Andrew Marsh a Costco guy? Or, oh, I am a Costco guy. There we go. And I actually started that new, it's not new, it's new to me, the show, it's called like Superstore. Isn't that based in St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that. Yeah, it, it's it's like. That's funny. I, it's not as funny as like The Office or, or Parks nothing and Rec, is, but is. it, it kind of is that same feel except for it's in a 
Superstore. Oh, that's funny. It's yeah. America Ferrera. It, it is pretty good. That is Michelle. That is Andrew. I am Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got people saying that I never think that I'm wrong. Michelle, we've been doing this for a year and a half. Have you ever found me to think that I'm wrong? No. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Your text, 65780 for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, you mentioned a couple of days ago that Reese's had come out with their 7,000-calorie Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Pie, which was 9 inches and weighed well over a pound. And they sold out within an hour. Well, I'm sitting here on the eBay right now, and I'm seeing that there's a limited edition 9-inch Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Pie, 3 pounds, and it's listed on the eBay at $550. Ooh. Here's another one for $549, another one for $470, another one for $500 to buy it now, another one for $600 to buy it now, another one for $399. Take it or leave it, there is a singular food item that you would pay $400 for. I'm going to leave that. I will leave it as well. Now, an entire meal, perhaps. Maybe. If I'm going, if I'm on vacation and we're doing, like one time when I was in Thailand, we went to this incredible restaurant and it was 25 courses. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that's one small bite, but it was, I mean, we were there for hours. Uh-huh. It was an entire experience. I don't even think it cost that much money. It yeah. was it was cheaper than that. But I'm saying I will spring for a once in a lifetime food experience, not for a jumbo Reese's peanut butter cup. Sorry. Yeah. For me, for $400, it's going to have to be an absolute once-in-a-lifetime. I can't imagine doing it twice for for a $400 meal. Yeah, which is, I was in Thailand. Again, it was cheaper than that, but I was in Thailand, probably never going back. Um, We were able to get in this restaurant, which is very hard to get into, and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. But even then, I don't think I would have... I would have wanted to throw up if the bill came and it was $400 a person. I would have been really upset. But imagine that, serving that at Thanksgiving and saying, I paid 500 bucks for this. I hope you, you enjoy imagine? it. you imagine? And I would be like, well, I have an entire bowl at my house of leftover candy from Halloween. We could have just melted it all together. Exactly. Right. You know? So I'm uh, making. Do you want me to bring in a French silk pie next Wednesday? Are you making it from scratch? Then bring it on in. Okay, we'll bring it on in. Okay, let's stick with Thanksgiving. Take it or leave it. If you are power ranking Thanksgiving sides, canned cranberry doesn't even make the list. Is my power ranking five? Yes. I'll take that. Mac and cheese is number one. Mac and cheese is a new entry, relatively speaking, for the Carriker family in the last five, six years. I will put stuffing in there. I will put yams in there. Shout out yams. Yeah, I love them. I will put uh, probably mashed potatoes ahead of the, and regular cranberries, just real cranberries ahead of the, the canned cranberries. I don't hate the canned cranberries, but they aren't top five. Some people love them. I think they're gross. I love them. You do? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I put them at five. I think you have to throw green bean casserole in there. 
cheesy potatoes. Cheesy potatoes are great. Now you're talking yeah. cheesy potatoes with the cornflakes on top. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. That's the, a great casserole. Yeah, it's a great casserole. That's the bomb. 100%. Um, you have to have mashed potatoes in there. I don't even know if you even consider that. Like, that's just kind of like a, a given, though. Because it goes with the turkey and with the stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then the sweet potato, uh, I guess the dish, I don't even know what you'd call it, but it's got the yams. marshmallows. Yams. Is that what that's called? Yep, there. I think great. it's a casserole, too, if you put the marshmallows on right, top. Exactly. Yeah. It comes in a pan, yeah. throw it in the oven. Delicious. Casserole. Is that five? I, I, there I you stopped go. counting, but, but they're all good. But cranberry, canned cranberry, even though you love it, first to go. Yeah, it, I, yeah, yeah, it really would be. Maybe. It's it's one of those things where it's like, all right, I'll eat all this other stuff, and that's just one of the dishes where it's like, all right, it's some, it's kind of sweet. I don't know how to. It's got a different feel to it. I have no problem mixing my food, not mixing it, but like they're all touching. Yeah. Only time is on Thanksgiving. It doesn't um, matter. Let's get a texture too. All right, take it or leave it. The Blues being named number four in ESPN's power rankings is ridiculously high. Right now, I might take that. <laughs> yeah, they've lost four in a row. I think that is a reasonable thing to say. Yeah, that the, the way they're playing now, they aren't number four. With the way they started, though, I can understand why right. they would have been that high. Yeah, last week at this time, we would have said, yeah, exactly. bring it on. All right, Randy, I know you love talking about this topic. Take it or leave it. The conduct detrimental guys are right. The Rams and the NFL would be crazy to let their case go to trial. I'm going to leave that because the St. Louis side wants the NFL to be shown to have done St. Louis wrong on the record. And I don't know if the NFL is going to agree to that. And I do think that there is, well, uh, I do know that there is a strong desire for St. Louis to show the world exactly what happened in the Rams move to Los Angeles. Right, but if you're the NFL, don't you want that to not happen? If, if you're the NFL side, you absolutely <laughs> don't want it to go to trial. But St. Louis is exceptionally confident in the case that they have. As they should be. Mm -hmm. The more we dig into this... Yeah. The, the NFL and the Kroenke side of this, they left breadcrumbs at every turn. They did. They, they did this all out in public, in open air. This is a fraud case. St. Louis has to prove that the NFL lied. I could prove to you that the NFL lied with five minutes of work here on my computer. I don't even think you need five minutes. No. <laughs> all right, take it or leave it. Tyler Beatty is the best not talked about offensive player in a power five conference oh totally take that no doubt about it leading rusher in the sec only guy in the nation with four uh 200 yard rushing games he's carrying a team there really isn't another skill position player that's a dominant player he's the one everybody knows he's getting the ball and he still winds up with 200 yards he should definitely be getting more love nationally and he'll wind up getting drafted and probably wind up being a good pro thank you andrew and thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, you drive by that stadium for the soccer team in downtown St. Louis. We're going to talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Kierker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And if you drive down Market Street in downtown St. Louis, you see every day the progress for the new stadium for St. Louis City SC. And we welcome to the studio Matt Seebeck, the Chief Experience Officer for St. Louis City SC. Good to see you. You too, Randy. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me in studio here. And it's, it is remarkable on a daily basis. And my daughter drives downtown for work every day and says, it's amazing how every single day there's something going on with that stadium. It's pretty amazing. I mean, and, and a lot of people haven't really left their their house in over a year, you know. So when you come downtown now, um, it really takes over the skyline in downtown West, and it's pretty remarkable what they've been able to do uh, through a global pandemic to stay on track. So it's uh, it's great. Uh, we take our team down there pretty much every Friday afternoon just to uh, reset and get inspired because it's, it's it's a work of art. It really is, and I was really fortunate. I got a sneak peek of it, I think, last week, maybe two weeks ago, and I was just blown away by how spectacular it looks. And one thing that I learned when I was down there is how many different groups of people are working on this at any given time. So, Matt, can you share with us how many people are actually involved in the building of this stadium? At our peak, we're about 600, 600 total workers, number of different trade partners. Um, so it is a coordinated effort to get us to where we're at today. Uh, again, remarkable to see the amount of organization and chore- you know, choreography that has to happen. Uh, I mean, you build a retaining wall in your backyard. It's, it's kind of hard to get all the pieces at the right place, right time, and they're building a massive stadium in downtown, so it's remarkable to watch. You are the chief experience officer, and Michelle talks often about what an awesome exp- and unique experience this is going to be. So many teams don't try to reinvent the wheel, but I get the impression that that's what you guys are doing. There's going to be a lot of innovative things with St. Louis City SC. Yeah, we've got an ownership group um, that I, you know inspires us every day, but really loved their their take on this, which is you know if you're if you're not going to do something different, why why really do it at all? So um, it's been fun for me as someone you know born and raised in St. Louis to take so many of my personal passions and experiences, both in my love of sports. Um, I spent the last 15 years consulting for retail and restaurant brands. Um, So you take all of that and build it into this recipe. Um, and we want to do something different. We want to innovate. We, um, you know, we're going digital, but we're building a physical, massive, beautiful stadium. So, um, we think it's a very contemporary time in the industry. There's a lot of things changing in sports, and so to be able to really be the first of the new and not not the last of the old, mm-hmm. where you're able to combine so many of these consumer behaviors um, into a single you know sports organization where there's already passion and pride, we think it's pretty cool. Another thing that I think is really unique to what you guys are doing at St. Louis City SE, and it's a very fine line to walk, is to make an experience and a sports vessel that is very uniquely St. Louis, but that also translates on an international stage. Because what works in St. Louis might not be as appealing internationally, but getting a little bit of a look behind the scenes, you guys have been able to fill both buckets, which is really rare. Yeah, we uh, you know we toured a lot of stadiums, and there, you know there's a lot there's a lot to like uh, globally, uh, especially in soccer. So you know taking those little ingredients from the places we like, putting those into the design and architecture of our space, uh, you know we think it is important, and that's the necessary research you have to do. But you mentioned making it authentically St. Louis. We think that there's so much going on here that that's beautiful and brilliant that, yes, it's a sports club. Yes, I'm a massive soccer fan. But what this whole project is, it becomes then a proof point of a renaissance that's happening here in the region. So it it changes the lens a little bit, uh, especially right now, because there literally are no games. Um, (laughs) And the focus of our project is so much about St. Louis's take on art architecture, food, technology, 
culture, community. And so all of those things, you know, become a proof point in, in kind of how we're operating right now, which is really neat. And tell fans how they can follow along. I know you guys have amazing content that is rolling out on the app, but we get questions all the time because the excitement for this team has not dwindled at all. People want to know, where can I get information about what's going on? How can I get involved? Yeah, it's not it's not slowing down yeah, <laughs> as much right. as some days we would like it to. But, uh, you know, socially, uh, all the major social channels, you can follow the progress of our work, especially the stadium progress. Um, but the app, uh, we, we released our, our team app uh, two months ago. And so for the fans that, that really want to get deep and hear, you know, longer form stories, photo galleries, videos, we're producing content on a weekly basis, uh, really for that reason. Um, you know, some thought it was a little crazy for us to release an app 18 months before our first game. Um, but it's, it's for that reason is we think there are stories to be told. Um, so we're going to tell them uh, and we're going to celebrate them because a lot of them are kind of once in a lifetime. Matt Seebeck, the Chief Experience Officer from St. Louis City SC. How cool is it for you to be driving down the road and see a St. Louis City SC decal or license plate frame or a flag in front of somebody's house? Like you say, we aren't playing a game until 2023, but there's already an inherent, it seems like to me, an inherent relationship between the community and the, the franchise. It's really, uh, we feel the momentum for sure. And it, it, it are the, it's those moments, Randy, where you are, you're driving down the highway, you see a sticker. Um, there's people coming out to watch our you know, 16-year-old academy kids practice because they might have a taste at the big show. It's, um, you know, I've got a, a few kids in school. You know, all the kids are wearing the, the colors and the crest because, you know, it, for, to them it's the only team that we've ever had. So it, it really is. It's those special moments that a year ago didn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, and you think about where we're going to be a year from now. Um, which is, you know, opening a stadium, getting ready for our, our first inaugural season. So um, it is th those special moments that I think everybody at the club, and we've been able to bring in some, some, some amazing talent. Carolyn's built an amazing team. Um, but I think it is that unifying force, Randy, that everybody is here because they know they're building something that will be here for the next 100 years, and, that, and that's yeah. pretty special. Matt, I know you guys always talk about how you want to be a great neighbor and how you want to be leaders in the community. And another thing I learned when I did the tour is that those aren't just words. You're actually putting that into action in so many different ways. But one thing I was really impressed by is what you guys have been able to do from a diversity standpoint. You're making sure that you are giving opportunities to everybody in the St. Louis community. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of at the center of, of, of what we're doing and, you know, that whole phrase of being, you know, first of the new and looking at this project as a way to unify St. Louis in so many ways. And, and, and a lot of that's philosophy, but a lot of it is is the practice that you're talking about. And so making sure that, you know, our, our club is a representation of what St. Louis really looks like um, and in a lot of different backgrounds, experience, ethnicities. Um, and so, you know, you see that come alive in our food story. It's why food's so important because, you know, food is international. Soccer's international, um, but even down at, at a practitioner level, um, you know, we are obviously female-led, the only in Major League Soccer. Carolyn Kendall Betts, fantastic. Um, <laughs> but, you know, taking that down to the construction level, uh, you know, our, our project executive is female. Um, Don Garber had a chance to come by the site last year, and he said, it was, you know, it's the only time he's seen that in, in, in to play out. Um, you know, our diversity numbers are really good on the project side. We had a strategy going into it. Our construction partners, uh, MacJV, Mortensen, Albarisi, and Keeley, um, really followed up with a plan to go out and for 
really any scope of work, whether we're talking plumbing or electrical, make sure that they're taking our diversity goals as a club and going out and finding, um, you know, not just hitting diversity numbers, but finding the talented people um, and trades across the region that could deliver the work. So we're pretty proud about that. Matt, last thing from me, there's been so much that's been accomplished and you've got, as you mentioned, the, the developmental teams going, got a name, got the stadium going up and you start play a year from this coming spring, spring yep. spring of 2023. So what's the next big thing on the horizon for St. Louis City SC on the timeline as it, as it plays out? Yeah, there's there's two two big things on the road to 23. It's, uh, you know, finishing the build of a stadium and finishing the build of our club. Um, and and those, those two tracks in and of itself, a lot of stories, you know, on the stadium side, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll continue the build. Uh, we'll have, you know, the beautiful grass going in early next year. Um, and, you know, the extension of that entire district side over 30 acres in downtown West, not only is our stadium, but we're the only team that has uh, our training facility and our team headquarters down there as well. Mm-hmm. So three additional soccer fields in addition to our stadium. Um, so uh, there's going to be a lot of green down there, which is mm-hmm. awesome in, a, in, a, in the middle of an urban area. So um, there's a lot of updates on the stadium, uh, sponsorship. We've got a lot of big announcements coming on on that side. And then the club. The club is where, you know, we get to build a team from scratch. You know, the academy that you mentioned, Randy, is, you know, it's, it's soccer's version of, of our minor league system. We're invested into that because St. Louis has the talent and so we're developing it here locally and a lot of these kids that are coming through the academy will have a chance then to play on this professional first team roster in the spring of 2023 so um, we've got the academy teams we've got another team starting up next year that's called our lower development league it's kind of our second team Mm -hmm. and then we'll be acquiring players we'll hire a head coach Uh, so all of those things are going to happen in the next calendar year and um, so there's no uh, there's no slowing down now and like Michelle said, everybody needs to download the app. Have the St. Louis City SC app, and you can get all the news and check out the website all the time. Great to see you, sir. Thank you. You bet, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for coming in, Matt. Matt Seebeck from St. Louis City SC. He is the chief experience officer, and they're rolling things happening every single day with St. Louis City SC. Coming up, we're going to head to the Blues booth. John Kelly, the voice of the Blues, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Joining us in the Blues booth via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the TV voice of the Blues, John Kelly. You'll hear JK with Panger tonight. Blues and Sharks, 7 o'clock face-off, 6.30 pregame on Bally, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and JK. It's good to have you with us. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? Everything's good. Uh, let's just move the result of the other night aside and just take into account that the Blues had a lot of good new players in the lineup. What was your impression of the new guys fitting in? New guys and returning guys. I thought they played well. Uh, you know, Sunquist didn't play a ton of minutes, but, uh, you know, Krug was, was really sharp. I thought that, you know, he played his, his normal game. And Perunovic, um, for his first NHL game, you know, two things really stood out to me, Randy. 
is he is an elite skater and puck mover, and that's what we heard. And, you know, he played some preseason games with the Blues this year and then lit up the American Hockey League with 20 points in 12 games. So he, he obviously can put up points. So I thought he was very confident and very, very impressive. So that, to me, uh, it, you know, is the other thing is that he didn't look nervous. Um, he, he made some really good plays. He passed up a, a really good shot in the third period when the Blues were down a goal. But, you know, probably doing that because of the respect for the veterans and things like that. But I thought he was a really impressive player. And as a matter of fact, in practice yesterday, they moved Perunovic onto the second pairing with Justin Falk, a, a guy that he really uh, is really crediting him with mentoring him. He's living with him. They both went to the same college. And so now they're going to play together in the same pairing tonight against the San Jose Sharks. So it's sort of a cool story. Yeah, it is. I read that story about Perunovic living with Justin Falk and his wife and just the the relationship that they have, John. And that could be really interesting to see how that chemistry and that intimacy of them living together and knowing one another translates to the ice. Well, I think it's a great thing. And it's, it's sort of a tradition that has been going back many years in the Blues organization. You know, Robert Thomas, um, live with the Kachucks and now with great friends with Matthew and Brady and, and Keith really helped mentor him along. Um, so it, it's something that blues players have done and it, you know, it helps these young guys, uh, Brady and Shen had Jake neighbors living with him until he got sent back to junior hockey. So, you know, I mean, these kids coming out of college or junior hockey, they don't know the, the pro life and the, the, the things you need to do to get ready for a game and what you should do on off days and, you know, how you handle yourself and handle yourself rather in different situations. So it, it's, it's awesome that, that these players are, are opening their homes and, and helping these young guys. So it, it's really good. John, obviously injuries are a part of the game. You mentioned the name Braden Shen, and he really is a key part of this. People might not, because he's not there, they aren't having him top of mind right now. But he's a big part of the Blues' success when they're going well, isn't he? Well, he is. He's their second-line center iceman. And to me, Randy, the the biggest strength of this Blues team is their depth up front. And it really starts up the middle. When you have O'Reilly and Shen and Robert Thomas playing the way he's been playing, uh, and Bozak, and we know that Barbashev and Sunquist can also play center you know, Joshua, when he was up here as a center iceman. So they are a really deep team. And in particular, when you go one, two, three of O'Reilly, Shen, and Robert Thomas, that to me is as good as it is up front in the, in the National Hockey League as far as one, two, three centers. So, yeah, they miss him, and he's been out now for, for a few weeks with that upper body injury. You know, he is skating on his own. But until he joins the, the big group and starts the physical contact, contact rather, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly when he'll come back, but they certainly miss Braden Shen, no question. John, the Blues hoping to snap their four-game losing streak tonight versus the Sharks. What do you need to see out of this Blues team tonight to secure the victory? Well, number one, they've got to get their work boots on, and that's what was missing the other night against Arizona, a team that obviously is not a very good team. They were also missing six players either because of COVID or injury. There, there was no excuse for the Blues to lose that game but they did because they put their skill ahead of their work ethic. So that's number one. And, you know, you look at this, this winless streak right now, the Blues are 0-3-1. And aside from the Arizona game where they just, they just didn't respect their opponent and they didn't work hard, but in the other two losses um, on the weekend, they just didn't do the little things. 
And, you know, little things add up to big things. And, you know, like not blocking a shot late in the game in Carolina when you could have blocked the shot and it goes in the net and you lose by one. In Sunday's loss to Edmonton, you give up an on-man rush with 30 seconds left in the game and the puck's in the back of your net. So you have to understand the situation of a game and you've got to do the little things. So that's what I'm going to look for tonight. I mean, the Blues had very few hits the other night against Arizona. So that's another thing that you got to watch for is intensity and taking the man and things like that. So I, I think those are the keys tonight for the Blues to get back to um, the things they do well and respect the process. And, and hopefully the results will follow. And finally, John, the Sharks are in kind of a rebuild mode, but here they are just a point behind the Blues. Who would have thought that if, if the Blues lose to the Sharks on November 18th, the Sharks would be ahead of them in the standings. Exactly. And right now they both have eight wins. The Blues did win in San Jose 5-3 a couple of weeks ago, Randy. But remember, they had seven players in COVID protocol for uh, a week or so, and they had seven players out against the Blues. Not to say the Blues didn't play well in that game, but now they're a fairly healthy team and and a dangerous team. They won in Minnesota the other night 4-1, and, you know, they got some firepower. Thomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, Burns on defense is having a great year. So this is going to be a, a challenging game. But, again, the Blues, if they play their game, they can handle anybody and they can win every night. So they got to get back to Blues hockey, and hopefully they can take care of San Jose tonight. It's going to be a tough game. J.K., great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll be tuned in tonight. Okay, sounds great. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports. John Kelly joining us as he does every Thursday morning with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, another fight. Yeah, that's right. I get to fight again. I have to fight again. I will fight again. No, you get the privilege of fighting again. I'm 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome It's time to fight here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8.34 that time. Check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's welcome in our fighter this morning. Andrew is with us. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, you're fine. Great. How's your morning been so far? So far, so good. It's my son's 10th birthday. Oh, my gosh. What's your son's name? Nicholas. He's in the car with me right now. Nicholas, happy birthday. Hopefully your dad yeah. can, hopefully your dad can walk away with a victory today for your birthday. Mm-hmm. We hope so, too. <laughs> awesome. Well, Andrew, are you ready to go? I am. Let's do it. All right. This is Andrew competing on his son's Nicholas, Nicholas's birthday. All right. Question number one. Who is the only pitcher to strike out 200 or more in nine consecutive seasons? Who is the only pitcher to strike out 200 or more in nine consecutive seasons? Is it Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, or Randy Johnson? Yeah, Nolan Ryan. All right, Andrew, question number two. What NFL team holds the record for most consecutive losses? Is it the Buffalo Bills, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Detroit Lions? Detroit Lions. Question number three for Andrew and Nicholas. What other Hall of Fame was NBA legend Wilt Chamberlain inducted into? 
Is it the Volleyball Hall of Fame, the Business Hall of Fame, or the Shuffleboard Hall of Fame? Volleyball Hall of Fame? <laughs> Final answer? Final answer. All right, cool. All right, question number four. In the 2011 World Series, only two starters earned wins. Besides the Cardinals ace, Chris Carpenter, who was the other starter? Was it C.J. Wilson, Derek Holland, or Kyle Loesch? Derek Holland. We remember that one. Checking our score and trying to wave in Randy, who is probably getting a second plate of food here because we're having a little food celebration today here at the station. Where is he? Oh, there he is. Come on, Randy. Chatting, chatting. Randy, as you get settled in here and say good morning to Andrew, who is your competition, know that his son Nicholas is with him, and it's Nicholas's birthday. Happy birthday, Nicholas. Great to have your dad with us. Andrew, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. I was uh, just out in the hallway with uh, Carolyn from our staff and Christy from our staff. They provided the breakfast for all the radio stations, and I was telling them about Mike Johnson telling us how to make the best burger that you can possibly make. Mike Johnson from High Point and Sugar Fire, et cetera, et cetera. I am surprised that you didn't walk in here with a second plate. I thought that was a guarantee during this commercial break. Well, uh, I will be back for the lunch portion. <laughs> okay, there you go. Our, uh, <laughs> our Thanksgiving extravaganza. I was concerned that I was going to have to have Andrew Vamp because I was going to have to go run and find you in the food line. No, I was uh, I was keeping an eye on what Thank was happening you. here. I appreciate that, Randy. You're locked in. That's why you're mega mind. Are you ready to go, sir? I am ready to go. Question number one. Who is the only pitcher to strike out 200 or more in nine consecutive seasons? 200 or more in nine consecutive seasons. This is in history, right? Not current? Correct. I'm going to go Nolan Ryan. All right, Randy, what NFL team holds the record for most consecutive losses? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers of 1976-77 lost 26 in a row as an expansion team. Their first home victory was against the St. Louis Cardinals. First victory overall was against the New Orleans Saints. In game number 27, then game number 28, their home victory. First home victory was against your St. Louis Cardinals in 1977. Wow. Thank you for that background. It's kind of a, well, it was <laughs> Don Coriel's last game, 1977. Uh-huh. It was? And the pregame meeting the night before, because Don Coriel had said to the newspapers that he didn't want to be back, and Dan Deardorff in the team meeting says, Don, are you going to be here or not? And what did he say? Hamana, hamana, hamana. Oh, he didn't yeah, give Dan a direct answer. On, Dan put him on the spot. But Good job, knew. Dan. Yeah, they knew. And then they lost the game. Yeah. Mm. Not great. Question number three. What other Hall of Fame was NBA legend Wilt Chamberlain inducted into? Besides the Basketball Hall of Fame, huh? Correct. I'll do the old lifeline here, Michelle. Is it, Randy, the Volleyball Hall of Fame, the Business Hall of Fame, or the Shuffleboard Hall of Fame? Okay, I thought there would be another Hall of Fame for when you have 20,000 partners. Allegedly. That's what he claimed. I'm going to go with shuffleboard. All right, Randy. In the 2011 World Series, only two starters earned wins. Besides the Cardinals ace, Chris Carpenter, who was the other starter? For both teams. The other starter to earn a victory. Um, Well, Jaime Garcia did not, obviously. (laughs) Cardinals won four, they won three. And the Cardinals were pulling guys early. Just because 
I know he was on their team and he had a good year that year. I'm going to go with C.J. Wilson of the Rangers. Andrew was playing on behalf of his son, Nicholas, and it's his birthday today. Did he get the victory on his son's birthday? Or did Randy crush someone's dreams and ruin their special day? Andrew, let him know. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Congratulations, Andrew. You not only won the fight today, but you secured the victory on your son's birthday, which is very cool. Awesome. Thank you. You got it. Well, here are the answers. So Tom Seaver is the only pitcher to strike out 200 or more in nine consecutive seasons. He did it from 1968 to 1976. The NFL team that holds the record for most consecutive losses is, in fact, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As Randy told you, they lost 26 games in a row. Things were so bad that when they finally broke that record losing streak, the opposing coach was immediately fired. I think it was Hank Schramm of the New Orleans Mm -hmm. Saints at the time. Was that the end of his career? Yes, it was. At the end of his Coaching career. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Wow, what an unceremonious way for <laughs> tough, it to yeah, end. Tough yeah. way to go out. <laughs> tough, tough ending. Um, the only other, or not the only, the other Hall of Fame that NBA legend Wilt Chamberlain is inducted into is not the Shuffleboard Hall of Fame. It's the Volleyball Hall of Fame. Hmm. You know, with height like that, it makes sense. I didn't know he was a volleyball player. You learn something new on this show every day, yep. Randy. And in the 2011 World Series, only two starters earned wins. It was Cardinal Saints, Baseball Jesus, Chris Carpenter. And the other one was Derek Holland Mm. of the Rangers, Derek Holland. So congratulations, Andrew. You win the fight today. You're going to come back tomorrow, which means you're one step closer to the Hall of Fame. And happy birthday again to Nicholas. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, the... Musial Awards are Saturday night over at the Stiefel Theater, and among those being honored are Buffalo Bills fans, the Bills Mafia. We'll tell you why and have a a couple of them with us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And Saturday night at Stiefel Theater, the Musial Awards will take place. And you can still get tickets by going to musialawards.com. And a couple of the honorees are with us now, members of the Bills Mafia, Dan Konopsky and also William Burke. Gentlemen, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? Hey, thanks for having us. What a... uh... Yes, that we're, we're very excited when we got the invitation to call to join you guys. Uh, good morning, and uh, thanks for having us. Well, I, I want to start with how you guys wound up being recipients of a Musial Award. William, tell us how this all happened. You were watching a Bills game against the Baltimore Ravens, and how did this unfold? So we were watching the uh, game. I think it was uh, what well, was a playoff game, actually, um, and Lamar Jackson went down with the injury, uh, the quarterback for the uh, Baltimore Ravens, as most people know, uh, he ended up going down with an injury, and me and Dan had the same idea. I didn't know Dan at the time, which was the funniest part about it. <laughs> uh, me and me and Dan had the same idea. That's not how we want to win a football game for our for our favorite team. So we decided, let's do something cool. Let's try to do something nice and give it to his favorite charity. And after that, it just absolutely took off. And the the amount of support we like, the charity got, 
and the amount of support that we had just doing it was fantastic and it was just great to see everybody pitching into something such a great cause like that and dan it didn't just stop there i know that you were able to support lamar's cause which is blessings in a backpack but you also donated or got bill's mafia to donate to a local hospital in memory of josh allen's grandmother tell us about that yeah, this is nothing new to the Bills Mafia. This uh, story with me and Will is especially special to us because we got to both simultaneously kick off the wave of donations for uh, the Lamar Jackson Blessings in a Backpack charity, which, in case anybody doesn't know, great organization. They feed kids on the weekends when they can't get food at school. Um, so we were delighted to see the response to that. The Oshai Children's Hospital donation wave is just like that that we saw with the Andy Dalton Foundation and many others after that. Um, I can't take uh, – uh, me and Will were, were along for the ride for the Patricia Allen Fund at the Oshai Children's Hospital wave of donations. Uh, but uh, our – uh, status as Bill's Mafia members when it comes to leading the donation charge was with the Lamar Jackson one. But I, I say it's, it happens again and again and again. If it's not us, it's going to be somebody else. We're going to shock you. We're going to break records and continue to do so. You're going to see it again this season, I'm sure. And it's going to be the most random charity uh, for the most <laughs> random player. And you're going to wake up uh, the next day and find out that we've raised $50,000 because we just believe in that kind of good karma. And you, you think about the numbers that you're raising for charity. M- Michelle mentioned the million dollars for the, the Josh Allen uh, in memory of his grandmother, the $400,000 for Andy Dalton's foundations, $550,000 with this effort, more than 18,000 members of Bill's Mafia contributed. William, are you ever surprised by what Bill's Mafia is able to accomplish in these endeavors. <laughs> Would it be weird if I said no? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it's We're known as the city of good neighbors for a reason, and <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think that this city can do all these types of things. Um, they're a very hardworking community for sure. <laughs> Dan, how? And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, William. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go well, ahead. I was just curious about the the way that Bill's Mafia is perceived. When people think Bill's Mafia, we think lighting people on fire and jumping through tables. But, <laughs> but what's it like for you to know that there's this entire other component to Bill's Mafia, and that it's about helping people and being good neighbors, as you mentioned? I, I think that's what kickstarted our good run of a, a playoff caliber performances is finding that awesome balance between charitable acts of kindness, showing support for the, the team and, and the members of our community while also lighting ourselves on fire and going <laughs> through tables. It's a healthy 50-50 balance that we found that when we're not paying for the medical expenses to readjust our spine after going through a folding table, those funds yeah. that can be sent somewhere to do better, you know, and, and for a good cause, we're, we're happy to throw it down again and again and again. Now, I, we need to know, and William, you can start with this. Have you ever jumped on and broken a table? <laughs> Um, I have, yes. <laughs> okay. Dan? I'm not... You know what? This is going to be, uh, this is, you've just given me some inspiration. If we, <laughs> if we can see another big push of donations in the next couple of days for blessings in a backpack, this is my promise. And I want this on the air. If we can get a big enough donation push in the next couple of days for blessings in a backpack again, I will have Will film himself throwing me through a folding table. That's a guarantee. 
that's a promise, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll upload it live on Twitter, and everybody can see it and enjoy it. So uh, that, that'll be great for me. I've never done it before. I imagine it's like, uh, I don't know, just getting your back cracked, but in a really fast and unfortunate way. But, you know, yeah, a couple of Bud Lights maybe beforehand. I think there you go. Right? That's right. I just assumed yeah. it was a birthright for Bill's Mafia, that this is something you guys are doing on the playground at school. <laughs> well, we've been practicing, you know, he breaks uh, like two by four and yeah, over my exactly. back every now and then, you know, we're, we're, we're just toning yeah. up. We're getting ready for the playoff run. Go ahead, William. Sometimes, sometimes you'll see videos surfacing of uh, people putting their newborns through a little one. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just, a, it's just, it's, re- it's like religion over here, man. It's funny. So, Hey, I have to ask you guys, uh, and uh, Dan, we'll start with you before this started, before you were called by the uh, St. Louis sports commission and the Musial awards, how aware of Stan Musial were you? And have you researched him? Are you aware now of Stan Musial? The awards show and the gentleman himself in question, I was unfamiliar with before I got the call, but, you know, I've, I've been happy and, and delighted to do that research and find out who he is. And when uh, the award show reached out to me and said uh, that I could bring a guest, I, I thought for a while who, who I would like to accompany me. And I finally arrived at my dad. And I knew that that was the right choice because when I was telling my parents about the Stan Musial Awards, he said, Stan Musial, like the baseball player? I go, that's why you're coming, because you know that <laughs> stuff and I don't. So you're going to be uh, my, my knowledgeable sports guy. So when somebody walks by and he goes, oh, my gosh, that's so-and-so used to play in the Cubs back in the year. I'm going to go, well, that's good that you knew that, because I had no idea. So <laughs> thank you. And you'll be uh, able to, to rub elbows with and spend some time with Wayne Gretzky and Janet Gretzky is too. Uh, Grant, Janet Gretzky, too. So I'm sure as Buffalonians, is it Buffalonians? Buffalo? <laughs> Yeah. Buffalo. Either one works. Buffalonians is the correct word, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I'm sure that as fans of the Sabres as well, you're well aware of the exploits of Wayne Gretzky. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Living legend. Mm -hmm. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. Ever since I was – I'm I'm a younger guy, so ever since I was young, ever since I started watching hockey – uh, I've been watching Wayne Gretzky highlights on YouTube. So, <laughs> Okay. And I, I want you guys, I want to welcome you into a conversation that we've had this morning, and I'm sure that you have a completely fair and balanced view of this. I mentioned to Michelle this morning that Bill Belichick of the Patriots, as a head coach, is 221-67 and 67 with Tom Brady as his quarterback. Unfortunately, a lot of those wins against you guys. But 66-76 yeah. and 76 without Tom Brady as his quarterback. And my point is, Belichick's overrated. He's totally a product of Tom Tom Brady, agree or disagree? Who? Bill Belichick? Am I hearing that name correctly? Bill Belichick. God, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Wow, I haven't even thought about that. Huh. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing these days. Well, I guess he's still coaching. That'll be nice. Not a team to be taken lightly this year as a coach overall. Yeah, I guess you, you get a little skewed when you have the greatest quarterback of all time. And I say that with so much hate and disdain. Uh, in my- Yes, but when you have the greatest quarterback of all time at your helm. Guys, listen to this, and you guys still get New England twice. Here are their six wins that the national media is saying, oh, he's got another Super Bowl contender. They have beaten the Dolphins. They have beaten – hold on, let me get to uh, the whole schedule here. This year's wins – The Dolphins, huh? Oh, no, you (laughs) you guys. uh, I've got the wrong schedule, but let me get to the Patriots because they really do kind of suck. Okay, so here we go with Belichick in 2021. His six victories are against the New York Jets, 
the Houston Texans, the New York Jets again, the L.A. Chargers, the Carolina Panthers with Sam Darnold just falling off the cliff, and the Cleveland Browns last week. Is that really impressive? I, the only game I would say that is impressive out of that would be uh, would be the Chargers. Yeah, <laughs> out of yeah. All of them. and you guys are going to drill them twice. It's uh, that's why I, it, it's not about underestimating Bill Belichick. It's about having enough faith in Sean McDermott to know that he's not going to underestimate him. And uh, if it's anything like the last time we played the Patriots, where we were just bombing the digs over and over again, scoring touchdowns, racking up points, just something I, in my lifetime as a young fan also, have just never seen in my actual life, a walloping of the New England Patriots. That's a new thing to me now. I, uh, am I to expect it this year? Yeah, twice. I think I'm going to expect it this year. <laughs> Love it. And last thing, you guys play the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. So Saturday night, you're here for the Musial Awards. How are you going to take in the game? Uh, I'm going to be watching uh, it on the flight. <laughs> okay. Yep, I'm going to take every precaution to stream it, watch at the airport, on the bus. I don't care. I'll, fi- I'll find a way to have it in my headphones or something. You guys, yeah, exactly. That's where I'm at. You guys mentioned that this is a religion to you. What has been a, a situation where, just like this, it was a game that was happening, but you had a prior commitment where you had to make sure to watch the game? What's the craziest way that you've had to miss a game slash watch a game? Mm, that's an excellent that's question. Good, that's a really good question. That is a really good question. Um, uh, you can go ahead, Will, if you have an answer. I, I, I'm still thinking. you got to give me a second. <laughs> because you cancel everything on game day? Is that what happens? <laughs> yeah, typically no, there is no reason to miss it. But when I was in my, my previous job before this one, I did a great deal of traveling. Um, and some of that travel would start on Sundays. And uh, thank goodness I stay for AM radio and, uh, and John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. He got to beautifully... You know, it was like I was there watching the game. Yeah, I probably should have paid a little bit more attention to traffic. Maybe I was doing a little <laughs> weaving and horn honking when, when big, important things were happening, just even if it was just by myself. Uh, you know, you never know what uh, what animals in the area might want to hear the let's go Buffalo chant. Uh, so that's how I got to taking games that I couldn't physically be there for. So shout out to John Murphy. Absolutely. Hey, we can't thank the Bills Mafia and you guys enough for what you do for charitable endeavors for the opposition and your home guys. And you guys are great fans. We love you here in St. Louis, and we're so happy. And by the way, uh, we're rooting for you. Having lost a a team recently, we're rooting for you to get that new stadium and and keep your team. And we'll see you here in St. Louis on Saturday night. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. The reception has just been great. I'm so excited. It'll be my first time in St. Louis. So thank you very much for having us on the show. And uh, we'll see you there. All right. Thanks, Dan. That's uh, Dan Konopsky, William Burke from Bill's Mafia, winning Musial Awards on Saturday night. The Musial start time for uh, the the show at the Stiefel Theater is 7 o'clock. And you can get ticket information, get tickles, tickets and tickles at <laughs> musialawards.com. Next up. There are some great ideas for making baseball more exciting again. We'll give you some of those, some other people's ideas, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money.
No, they haven't ruined baseball. There, a lot of people enjoy the game. I enjoy the game. I'm annoyed with some of the nuances that have been added to the game uh, because of analytics. Ian Anderson throwing a no hitter in in the World Series, and he's taken out after five innings. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, old school guys like us we're more upset about it than Ian Anderson is. He's okay with it because all these guys have been growing up through analytics and they understand this is the future. I think everything's cyclical. I think we'll eventually get back to a bit of normalcy, but it will never be what it once was. Greg Amsinger joining us this morning here on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman, 905. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And, Michelle, I do agree that analytics are a great tool. And I've said this before, and I'm going to stick by it. I think when teams are controlled on the field by analytics, that's where we lose some of the enjoyment of the game. When the idea that a walk is the most valuable commodity in the sport it's really boring. And when you have three true outcomes, I, I think that's a problem. Jeff Passan tweeted last night after the Cy Young Award winners were announced. He said, I'm admittedly a nerd myself. I'm fully on board with analytics. They are vital. They teach you plenty. But anyone who tries to argue that FIP, fielding independent uh, pitching, is the most important metric to determine a Cy Young Award winner and that innings don't matter really should go eat gravel, which would be difficult to do. But... I agree with that. Innings do matter, and that's why wins matter. What you want, what you should want, is pitchers that give you as many quality innings as possible. It's funny because the things that fans care about and that oftentimes players care about are not the things that it seems like front offices or the analytics people care about. Wins matter to pitchers. We talk about this all the time. Pitchers say that wins matter. Innings sometimes for pitchers matter. And it it doesn't seem like the same value is held for certain things anymore. And I think it's alienated a lot of fans. I think that fans don't consume the game in the same way that front offices are putting the, building the product to be put on the field. We had a chance recently to talk to Bob Costas and he talked about some of the things that could be done to enhance the sport. And one of them has somewhat been put into play, but it could be more. And that is you, you sit and watch a game and the players are watching iPads. They're, they've got the iPad there to see their last at bat. And video, one thing that Mark McGuire thought that hitters relied upon too much is something that Bob Costas agrees with. They should eliminate all in-game video. This obsession with video. How in the world did Ted Williams do it? How in the world <laughs> did Stan Musial do it? During the game, you can't have guys running down to consult the video. And part of the result of that is you have a guy step into the box. He takes ball one. He hasn't fouled the ball off. He hasn't dislodged his elbow pad or his batting glove. But he steps out and he thinks about it. What is this, Boris Spassky versus Bobby Fischer for the World Chess Championship? What is he thinking about? Here's what he's thinking about. What has his video review told him that's different on 1-0 as opposed to 0-1 against this pitcher based on the video from July 18th, and now it's August 22nd? This can't be good for baseball as an entertainment product. But isn't that true about anything, that anything is good in moderation? Video in moderation is good when you come dependent on video, and it 
it takes away from your natural instincts as a hitter and you're reliant on what you've just witnessed, that's when it becomes less entertaining. And what Mark McGuire said is, hey, you've got all day to watch video. But once you get out of your car and get to the ballpark, you should have that in your head. You should know exactly what that pitcher is going to do. You should be smart enough. And that's what made the Musials and the Williams and the Tony Gwynns really good. They didn't have the ability to run down to the tunnel or to look at an iPad. What they did was they had minds that told them what they had seen on video. Well, not Musial and Williams, but (laughs) Tony Gwynn. But they were aware of what had been done to them in the past. And they didn't have to rely on instantaneous knowledge. Uh, You're sitting in the dugout, and then all of a sudden you're coming up to the plate as the number two hitter in an inning, and you've just watched the pitcher that you're going to face. Another problem that baseball has encountered is that players are so interested in either walking or hitting a home run And then, obviously, inevitably, they're going to strike out. And home runs being the end-all and be-all for hitters is a problem that a lot of us have. Home runs are great, but they should be a punctuation. They shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. And strikeouts are great, too. But if it becomes so ho-hum that guys you've basically never heard of have a higher ratio of strikeouts to innings pitched than Sandy Koufax did or Bob Gibson did, something's out of whack. And the game's got to get back to something closer to its natural balance. And I don't know how they get there. I know, like Bob says, it's got to get back to a more natural balance. But with the way that we got here, with kids' camps teaching kids to throw 110 miles an hour, and with video and iPads in the dugout, the toothpaste to me, Michelle, is out of the tube. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you switch back. One thing you could do is outlaw the shift. But in terms of the three true outcomes, unless you expand the strike zone and make it what it's supposed to be, I don't know how you fix this. I don't either, because these young players that are already relying on video, they're certainly not going to just stop cold turkey or adjust their behavior patterns at all. And it doesn't seem like coaches or front offices are wanting to pull back on that either. So it's throughout uh, a player's lifetime and really throughout the organization. But a walk can be beneficial and the and could impact the outcome of a game. Sometimes it's it's really exciting for a great battle to happen between a pitcher and a hitter. But in general, when you're seeing so many walks, when the volume is so high and you're seeing either a walk or a strikeout, it's boring to a fan. It's not entertaining. You want to see the ball in play. You want to see athleticism. You want to see action. And even though the numbers may bear it out that this is what you need to do or this is the approach that we should ch- take from an entertainment standpoint, from a fan standpoint, it's kind of a snooze. Text 65780 from the 636. If I want to watch jacked dudes just try to hit the ball over the fence, I could head over to Ozzy's Sports Complex and catch some so- slow pitch softball guys uh, from the 314. Just move the fences back. That solves all problems. That would be a big part of it. If you could get a home run to be harder to hit, that would solve a lot of the problems. Force pitchers to throw with less time between pitches. Pitch clock. Hopefully results in less 100-mile-an-hour pitches and more balls in play. I am 100% on board with a pitch clock, which, by the way, is in the rule book now. Uh Pitchers are supposed to throw a pitch every 15 seconds, but it's never enforced. But that might be something that does get enforced. Right, because that would solve a lot of problems, the 100-mile-an-hour pitches and the fact that games are so long. And 
if if there's more action, which is what everybody should want, there's going to be more action invariably if you have a pitch every 20 seconds rather than every 40 seconds. How about this one from the 314, Randy? I have a 14-year-old baseball player who's required to watch video already. It's insane. That is insane because there should be a focus on the skill of hitting for these kids. There should be a focus on, okay, watch the pitch, see the ball, hit the ball. Ted Williams always talks about seeing the dot. Have kids look for the dot on a breaking ball. And it's not about video because if you're, what are you learning about a fellow 11 or 12 year old if you're watching video? That kid has no idea where the ball is going. No. So it's an issue. And I hope that Rob Manfred and baseball can get together with the union to solve some of these problems because they aren't difficult to solve. If we can solve them in an 11-minute segment here on 101 ESPN, they should be able to take a couple of weeks up in New York to get in a conference room and say, okay, this is how we can make the game better. This is logical. Let's do it. But doesn't it seem like so many of the issues that plague baseball seem like there are logical solutions to them, but that baseball doesn't... They, they get in their own way a they lot. They can't agree on anything. Yes, they get in their own way a lot. And the pitchers that are throwing 100 miles an hour, they don't want a pitch clock because they want to be able to throw the next pitch 100 miles an hour. They want 40 seconds to be able to recharge that arm. It's a problem. And... Uh, if they know what's best for them long-term, if they really care about the long-term viability of their sport, they won't, won't worry as much about themselves, and they'll say, this is bigger than us as individuals. We'll see if that happens. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some blues hockey with our blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, who's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The one, the only, the great Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic is our Blues Insider. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, Randy and Michelle. How are you guys doing? Everything's good. Man, you have been busy at The Athletic. You've had so many great stories of late, and we're going to get to the latest one about Oscar Sundquist. But have you had a favorite that has stuck out for you lately? Uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, it's day after day. You, you just look for the next good one and, and pursue it. And uh, quite honestly, you look back and kind of forget what you've, you've done. But, uh, you know, they've all been fun to sit with Scott Pronovich's parents uh, the other night during the game and just see their reaction, not only when he did his rookie lap uh, around the ice, but even throughout the game, guys, there were times where the puck was down at the opposite end and uh, you could see Prinovich's mom and dad, Jim and Susan, just kind of stand up in their seats and try to peer over the crowd and look down in the corner to see what they were doing. You know, you just think about all the skates they've been to at five o'clock in the morning and practices, games, tournaments, all the money they've shelled out and uh, it all culminated with uh, being able to watch his first game. So to see that reaction up close, I, I felt like was a lot of fun. It was. It was great to see that on the broadcast too, JR. But as Randy mentioned, you have a, a great new piece out at The Athletic about Oscar Sundquist and his return to the Blues. Tell us about it. Yeah, you know, it's something. Uh, I actually got a hold of uh, Oscar a couple months ago and spent some time on the phone with him um, to try to do something in-depth like the story that's published today. So this one uh, you know, was, was kind of months in the making. And I remember in that conversation with Oscar saying, listen, you know, guys gravitate towards you on the ice in terms of follow the way that you play, like you play fearless. Where did this come from? And a lot of times, you know, you'll get an answer like, I don't know. It's just how I play. 
and you move on to the next question. But in this case, when I asked Oscar Sundquist that question, he said, well, my dad was a member of the uh, National Alpine Ski Team for years in Sweden, and so he used to take us uh, skiing, and he would just take us to the top of the hill, and we'd look down and <laughs> just scared out of our minds and, <laughs> and didn't know what else to do, but there's only one way down. And so I'm like, come again? <laughs> Tell me this story. So anyway, I, I had a chance to, to speak with his dad as well, Anders Sundquist, and you know, once you spend some time on the phone with him and, and really listen to the story uh, about Oscar Sundquist, you know, being a skier, being a soccer player. In soccer, he learned how to read plays, uh, follow the triangle, and where the ball's going to go next. And you kind of see and put together how he became this uh, great hockey player with a combination of that fearless nature, but also, you know, the the ability to read things and then bring the skill factor into everything. So, uh, to me, that's what I gain from the story talking to them is we, we watch Oscar Sundquist and we know how he plays, but to he- hear him and his family talk about how that developed, I think really puts a good explanation behind it. And Jr., you, you note in the piece how rough of a season Sonny had in his first year here in St. Louis, and that's where I give him a ton of credit because he went from bottom of the the barrel for the Blues to being one of their most important players. I would argue that he's among their three most important players. Yeah, I would say that too. And and Randy, as I was working on the story the past uh, couple weeks, uh, the one thing that kept coming to mind was after that first season, so he had one goal and five points, I believe it was 42 games that first season in St. Louis. He was only making 675000 I know he's a restricted free agent, so you're going to hang on to that guy. You're, you're not moving him. But I just didn't know that he was in, even going to be part of their plans that following year. And so to not only be part of their plans, but to be a, a, such a big factor on that fourth line with Alexander Steen and Ivan Barbashev and make that run uh, to the Stanley Cup, uh, just terrific what Oscar Sundquist was, was able to do in terms of uh, kind of turning around his career. JR, the Blues have to turn things around now, having lost four in a row, three in regulation. Uh, what's your confidence level on a scale of one to five about the Blues being able to turn this around? And let's not even talk about Stanley Cup. Let's just talk about be one of the top three teams in their division. Yeah, well, let's say it first. You know, the game the other night against Arizona was just flat-out ugly, and I think anybody who watched that has every reason to be kind of disappointed and discouraged about the way they're playing. Um, I think that they can play much better. The one thing is we saw it early in the season, and so I'm for sure not going to go through any excuses like it's cyclical, it's a long season. Uh, They were without Ryan O'Reilly and Tory Krug and all these guys. Hey, listen, there's teams around the league. Look at San Jose, the opponent tonight. They've gone through as much as anybody in the league, and they're still right around that 500 mark. So I I do think the Blues are going to be able to grab it back just based on getting some of these guys back and and healthy and and, and ready to play again. You know, Tory Krug was a big uh, factor in the game uh, the other night. But they've got to show that they – won it and when you go into that game against Arizona and you only have one regulation win in your last seven and you've got Krug back and O'Reilly's up to speed and Sod's up to speed and you display the effort the performance that you did against Arizona the other night then I think you just open up yourself to a ton of questions so you know can they win tonight can they get it back on track I, I do think we'll see the Blues team we saw the first five games of the year kind of come back to life a little bit here in the new future but you know they, they certainly got to prove that we can't just say that they will yeah jr how concerning is it for fans that we're sitting here in mid-november and we're already hearing craig bruby talk about a lack of effort or a lack of urgency 
Yeah, it, it's bad. It's bad. And so uh, we watched that game the other night. Just so many cautious plays and, like you said, lack of urgency. And we saw, what, two drop-back passes in that one sequence and both got turned over. And, you know, you're talking about an Arizona team who had no business coming in here and winning it, and you're going to set them up for plays like that. I asked Craig Bruby yesterday, and I probably should have started the question off a little bit differently, but I said, Craig, I know the drop-back passes part of the game today because it is we see it a lot and uh, I didn't even get that much out of my question and he said no it's not no it's not <laughs> we play north south it's not part of the game <laughs> and so I mean if they're going to turn this thing around Randy and Michelle I mean you can't see that kind of stuff this has to be a get up the ice you know four waves four lines move the puck defensive you know support for the defense there's been a lot of plays where I, I think the defense has failed them but in part, it's because they haven't had that support from the forward. So um, they just have to play. We hear it all the time. they got to play a lot more connected than they're doing right now. I ask this as an avowed fan of Chief, and I've asked you this before, Jr. because he is in the last year of his contract. And I got uh, texts from three different people unsolicited the other night about coaches that they would like to see the Blues uh, have uh, the Blues behind the bench for. And so I, I got to ask you as we move along here, is it inevitable that Craig Bruby finishes the season as the Blues head coach? You know, I, I don't think it's inevitable, especially when you're asking, you know, during a stretch like this. You know, I will say that it's interesting that they decided maybe to postpone the contract extension if there is to be one, not get it done before the season, let the season play out and just kind of watch and see how the team does under Craig Bruby before they make a, a future commitment uh, to him. I'm not there yet in terms of saying that Craig Bruby is no longer the guy for this job. You know, I, I I'm there, you know, just about every day and, and witness, uh, you know, the practices and, and what the players say about him and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, so you don't want to look at this right now as a rut. You definitely have to have to be realistic about how the team's playing and where they're going. Um, you know, and if this continues, then then obviously that conversation could be had in the coming months. Uh, but uh, to me, uh, I think they kind of set the tone by saying we're going to watch how this season plays out before we decide what we're going to do with Craig Bruby. And, you know, when you go through stretches like this, those questions are going to be part of everyday interviews. So so uh, to me, I'm not quite there yet. I still think he, he's doing a good job, but he's certainly going to have to figure out a way to, to help this team play better. JR, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the insight. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. See you later. That's Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis, the number one BMW dealer in all of Missouri. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, you remember on Monday night how the Rams lost to the 49ers 31 to 10? Remember that? I do. Yeah, if you're a Rams fan and you watch that game, I imagine you were a little bit frustrated, right? Sure. 
Well, yeah, you were getting drilled. Sure. Well, Matthew Stafford's wife, Kelly, certainly was. So she was at the game and uh, something got posted on Instagram and she responded to it. So here's the initial post. At last night's game at Levi Stadium, why did you throw a pretzel at a Niner fan sitting behind me? Who do you think you are to do such a thing? You're lucky you didn't hit me with it because the outcome would have been different for you. Show some class and support your husband and his new team with grace, please. I am a Rams fan and I'm embarrassed by your actions last night and that is why I'm sharing with others hopefully you will be more aware of what you're doing in the future and set a better example for your children and actually Kelly Stafford responded to this she said I know I'm an idiot he was saying a bunch of things that were aggressive towards our crew but zero excuse I tried to apologize but in the end I knew I was wrong we'll always stand up for my guy and everyone I love but obviously needed to do it completely differently I'm embarrassed too sorry you had to witness me in my weak moment so Kelly Stafford throwing a pretzel at a Niners fan during the game but being woman enough to say I was wrong it was weak I apologize not her first weak moment either I believe she called Michigan a communist state, and that didn't go over particularly well. So maybe her best play would be to sit on the couch when the team is playing and get frustrated before your 82-inch big screen. But she wants to be there live to watch her husband and his new team. It's not a good play to be throwing pretzels at other fans. True, but I also can't imagine what it would be like because she's a, a visible significant other. She's, you know, obviously gone through a lot and has been in the public eye. So people know who she is, and I'm sure that they give her and her crew the business all the time. I can't imagine what that would be like to watch someone that I love struggling and have all of these people taunting me or saying terrible things about him. That has to be a difficult position to be in. Maybe her husband that's making $30 million a year should get a, a suite on the road then. She's been in a suite before. I've seen her in suites yeah, maybe before. That, maybe she should just go sit with the with the devil and Demo. You're devil right. Devil and DJ. That actually is a perfect solution because you want to support your husband and his team, but then you don't have to deal with the fans. Or unless you're Patrick Mahomes' squad where you're throwing water or whatever on people from the suite. Can you envision a scenario, and I know this is unfair, but can you envision a scenario in which the wife of an NFL quarterback can be front and center and it be a winning situation for them? Well, I would say Giselle's done it pretty flawlessly. But even when she said uh, Tom can't win the game himself. He can't. My husband can't throw and catch the ball at the same time. But that's one minor thing. And she's right in that statement. She was. But she also took a shot at Welker for dropping a pass, right? True. So I... But I would say one time throughout his entire career, that's the only thing we really have ever seen from her that's even remotely negative. Yeah. So I, I just recall the situations here with Brenda Warner, where it just didn't go over very well. Stafford last year, there was another uh, wife of an NFL quarterback. It just doesn't seem well, Patrick like Patrick Mahomes is uh, significant. Exactly gets going it great. a lot. Yeah. So it just doesn't seem like for the wife of the quarterback to be front and center generally turns out to be a really positive thing like i said it's a tough spot to be in it is because you're trying to protect your man and she's probably she see she has seen some stuff in detroit randy she has. she's like oh man we suck again i thought we were coming out on the other side of this yeah she thought huh chose the wrong destination sorry yep. kelly you're killing me small randy if you had to identify a coach in sports that would be the highest paid just off the top of your head who do you think it would be i believe i would go with nick saban it is not Nick Saban. So Sportico identified 25 current coaches, and they dis- determined who earns the most. And the 
most, or excuse me, the highest paid coach in sports is in fact Bill Belichick. Mm. He earns the most. And um, let me pull up this stat here. Nick Saban. 66 and 76. Nick Saban is on the list, but it's different for college coaches, even though he's a little bit underpaid. Are you going to go down this road again, this overrated road? No, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, not, I'm saying 66 and 76 is definitely worthy of being the highest paid coach in sports. But think about what he's done th- throughout his entire tenure, Randy. Could have very easily been what? He could have been 50 games under 500. <laughs> easily. Anyway, he earns about $11 million. John Harbaugh um, earns about 10, or excuse me, $9 million a year. And Nick Saban, as I scroll down, earns $10.7 million. Not bad. So the college football coaches that made the most, Nick Saban, $10.7 million. Jimbo, $9.5. And of course, Dabo, $9.3. And for a while, until he got his new contract, Jim Harbaugh was on that list too. It's interesting that it's all football coaches, that there are no, uh, for example, you'd think that Eric Spolstra might have a chance to be on that list. So I have the NBAs right here, if I can scroll down. Greg Greg Popovich at the top of the list, 11.5. Steve Kerr makes 9.5. Spolstra and Doc Rivers both at 8.5. So what's Belichick at? Let me scroll back up. I I have to scroll. Pops at 11.5 and and Belichick at... Let me find it. Sorry, I have to scroll this entire no um, thing here. So, where is it? I should have made this in bullet points. I thought it'd be easier to nav- and navigate, yeah. but that was my no, bad. I believe good. he earns eleven million, or, or, or maybe twelve point five. Okay, yeah. so yeah, pops at eleven point five. Oh, excuse me. Belichick's is eighteen million a year. I, I glossed right over that. Eighteen million dollars a year. Wow, that's really surprising. It and is. John Gruden was there at ten million a year, but if you're Robert Kraft and you don't have to pay Brady anymore and you don't have a salary cap for coaches, if you can get a great coach or a guy that you perceive as a great coach, even if he's great because he's quarterback, you pay him <laughs> a lot of money. The money that he has generated for that organization mm-hmm. far exceeds what he's being paid. The no, the president of Alabama has said on multiple occasions that what we are paying Nick Saban is a bargain. It is a bargain. Nick Saban, you said the highest paid public employee in America at a bargain price. Yeah. Think about how many buildings have been constructed at Alabama because of Nick Saban. Think about the increase in applications and the student body and money that flows into that place because of Nick Saban. And eyes on the state and the state being top of mind simply because he's the coach. When Mike DuBose and Mike Shula were the coach at Alabama, we weren't thinking about Alabama. That's right. And we have for the last, what, 13 years. You're killing me, Small! And will for a long time after Mm -hmm. that, by the way. So earlier this week, Randy, it was the Warriors versus the Brooklyn Nets, and the Warriors blew them out on Tuesday night. The final score, 117 to 99. So naturally, anytime Kevin Durant will play the Warriors, there's going to be talk about him leaving Golden State. And there was an article in the Mercury News that was published, and it says, Warriors Steph Curry are winning the breakup with Kevin Durant. So before the game, Kevin Durant went online and liked multiple tweets from people that criticized the article. And a lot of people thought that might be fuel to the fire. He's going through and he's getting some bulletin board material. Not the case. Kevin Durant was held to 19 points, 6 of 19 shooting. It was his lowest scoring and worst shooting game of the season and Stephen A. Smith after the game you you can probably imagine the next morning he had something to say about this breakup 
Kevin Durant made the wrong decision by going to the New York Knicks, and he's going to rule the day that he did that. And let's, let's analyze why that is. Because you got a guy in James Harden, not first year, this is the second year in a row, mad love for James Harden. You got to get your act together, bro. You ain't James Harden right now, averaging 19 points a game. You sitting there struggling from the field. You had 24 points last night. This is the meaningless, most meaningless 24 points that I've ever seen from the career of James Harden. You are a superstar, and you are not looking like one. It is that simple. You got to get it together. KD, you made the wrong decision, bro. And here's why. Because you trusted Kyrie. Kyrie Irving betrayed you, flat out betrayed you, left you hanging. And while you sitting up there getting your ass kicked last night, all right, Steph Curry sitting there shimmying and joking around, laughing on the court. They were cheering for Steph Curry in Brooklyn. They were, Randy. In Brooklyn. MVP chants. They were chanting for Steph. I'm sure that didn't feel great for Kevin Durant. No, and... I really don't think, all due respect, that at this point, the the Warriors, this year, the Warriors have won, but they haven't won a championship since Kevin Durant left. Mm-hmm. And you kind of had the feeling that Kyrie wasn't going to work out because he hasn't worked out since he deferred to, he, he, he hit that shot in Cleveland and all of a sudden thought that he was the guy. Even with LeBron, he thought he was the guy. And now he, he does. He he bailed on his team. He had a chance to be there for them. He didn't get vaccinated. And it's, it's pretty simple. If he gets a vaccination, like Harden, like Durant, he's there. If he doesn't get the vaccination, he's not. And he's not there. So, yes, he did betray his teammates. I think in the long run, we're going to agree that Golden State did win the breakup with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, maybe he should have gone to the Knicks. It is interesting for someone like Kevin Durant to make that move and leave a a comfortable, a winning place like Golden State and trust Kyrie. You're going to make that decision and you're going to place your your future hopes of winning in Kyrie, who, as you mentioned, has proven to be unreliable in the past. It doesn't seem like that was a great business decision, but obviously things happened in an unprecedented manner with the pandemic he couldn't have anticipated that but just in general these guys talk these guys are all boys these guys in the nba hang out they know the ins and outs of everyone's personalities he should have had some sort of an inkling that there may have been issues that could develop with Kyrie. right and i wonder if he just thought he was never going to be accepted as the man in golden state even though he was if you're on the outside looking in you won a couple of finals mvp awards yeah but it's always going to be Steph's it's always going to be steph so you have to be self-aware enough to find the spot because he is. He was the man in the Olympics. He's the alpha, right, we call him. Right now, he's the guy, right? He's the best player. But he, even if you're the best player, Giannis, is, he won an MVP and his team didn't go anywhere. You still need to have a reliable supporting cast. And he doesn't appear to have that at this point. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And thanks for joining us here on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is out today, so we're going to cross things over with BK and Ferrario. And more from you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN.
mornings and we get to bed early so we don't get a chance to get to Enterprise Center as often as we would like on Carriker and Smallman. But we also don't have to dress up, which is a positive in my mind because I'm comfortable all the time. Alex Ferrario is headed to Enterprise Center tonight, and I just have to know with the the nice slacks and the jacket and the in the button down shirt, are you comfortable no, right now? God no, Randy. I am so not comfortable. As soon as I get home after game days, I like it's it's straight sweatpants and hoodies. Oh yeah, it's straight. You know these are okay because I enjoy dress clothes. It's the shoes that are the problem. Yeah, shoes, dress shoes. I, oh, I, I feel I, so badly for you guys oh, that yeah, you I have to wear be... flat shoes that may be a little restrictive. Well, no, these these are leveled up a little bit. I think they got. I'm just saying. They got heels. Walk on in them. heels, and then I'll listen to your complaints. Look, God bless you, ladies that can walk <laughs> in heels, because my wife she wore heels. When she was in the early portion of her pregnancy, and it's like, what are you doing to yourself? She, we, we went to a wedding, and she was like, well, I want to look nice. I said, that's, right. that's fine. Wear flip-flops. It's like, what are you doing to yourself? You're already carrying an extra, like, five pounds of a baby. She's a gamer. I'm sure she, she is looked a gamer. great. I'm sure she looked God bless great. you ladies for that one. So, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't complain about my shoes. Have either of you ever walked in a high, high heels before? No. I think there was something at the station. Remember when DeMarco? DeMarco used to do it. Yeah, DeMarco, walk a mile yeah. in my shoes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. DeMarco walked in high heels. I We need to arrange that. That's some video content that we could do. I would love to see that's you like, two try to walk in high heels. That's like when wives put their husbands through the, the pregnancy stage where they make them strap that, like, actual belly on them to yeah. walk around with it. Yeah. I just never complained about my wife when she was pregnant of being tired or anything because I'm like, I don't want that uh, I don't want that challenge. Back in the day when Pat Riley was coaching the Lakers, if a guy would come into camp 20 pounds overweight, he would take a rope and tie it to each handle of two full milk jugs filled with water because a gallon of milk weighs about 10 pounds. And he would put make him put the rope around his neck and carry that extra 20 pounds up and down the court and say, that's what you're carrying with your extra 20 pounds. That sounds pretty effective. And he'd make him <laughs> practice with that. And he'd say, you need to lose 20 pounds. It's a lot different than bag skating them in hockey yeah, when they right. show up overweight, right? Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Well, imagine being a woman and being pregnant and having to carry all that weight for months and months and months. Nope. That's Hey, that's your choice. <laughs> all, all Alex had to do was grow it's a beard. It's our choice. <laughs> we, yeah. we don't have anything to do with that. That's right. It does not take two yeah. to tango. We, we it's did, our singular we did choice. nothing in that scenario to make that happen. You know, right. I got to tell you guys, I have a lot of guy friends, and when I'm friends too with a lot of my friends' husbands, and I, it just kills me when the guys will say like, you know, I'm gaining all this sympathy weight. She's eating all the time. I've gained like 10 pounds. It's so unbelievable. It's uncomfortable. I'm like, really? You gaining 10 pounds is what you're going to be complaining about right now. Your poor wife. It is Michelle. She can't sleep. She's going to the bathroom nonstop. A human being is kicking her in the oh, ribs yeah. all day. I made that mistake when Katie was pregnant because she she snored because obviously it was taking up part mm. of her, her organs. And so she was snoring real loud. And I'm like, man, you are snoring obnoxiously. <laughs> she looked at me and she goes, go sleep in the basement. I said, no, you're, you're good. I'll fight <laughs> Goodbye, through Alex. it. I'll fight through it. It's fine. So, Alex, I'm sure that you'll be glad to hear this because you guys talk about the shortstops a lot on BKM Ferrario. Greg Amzinger saying today that Ken Rosenthal is telling him, yeah, the Cardinals are in that shortstop market. I heard that. I loved that. But then I second-guessed it, and I said, in on the shortstop market, meaning Mo called one of the agents and said, hey, is your guy available? Yes. Okay. Thanks. And that was in on it. I believe that's what happens because the Cardinals are really quiet. The Cardinals don't tell Ken Rosenthal or Jeff Passam what they're doing. They don't tell anybody what they're doing, but agents do. So if you're an agent mm -hmm. that wants to increase the value of your player 
and the Cardinals do call and just do their due diligence and say, hey, what's your guy looking for? Then that agent says to Ken Rosenthal, hey, the Cardinals are interested. And then all of a sudden, if it's Seager, then the Yankees say, oh, the Cardinals are interested? Then we better increase the offer a little bit. I believe that's what happens. That's what these these reporters do is they barter information. Mm-hmm. So I could, if Alex was the agent for Trevor Story and you, Randy, work in the front office for, well, let's say Corey Seager and, and the Yankees, mm-hmm. and he tells me that the Cardinals have called about him, even if it was as simple as what's the asking price? Oh, it's too much. No, thanks. And I tell you, yeah, the Cardinals called. All you have to say is they called. Yeah, right. You know, and you're Son not lying a... and you're bartering information, but you don't have to tell them, well, the asking price was too high. All you need to then get from the Yankees is, are you guys in on him? And then there's your report. The Cardinals have, as we know, the $60 million coming off the books, but they have to pay Arenado about $25 million this year, plus the increases for the arbitration guy. So they'll probably have about $25 million to play with that they didn't have last year. They also have a bump coming in their new TV contract, but I don't know if they're going to spend that money on payroll. Last year, they were about $163 million. If they would go up to $175 million, that would open a lot, up a lot of avenues for them to buy new players. But I just don't know where that new TV money is going to go. Well, and especially trying to leverage those other teams because other teams have to realize that the Cardinals are notoriously, they don't spend that to that echelon in free agency. They do not. So if another team, like if the Yankees are to hear that, oh, yeah, the Cardinals called about Corey Seager, are they really thinking, oh, we got to up the offer? Because in the back of their minds, they have to know, well, Mo only hits a certain puke point with these free agents, and we know we can surpass that threshold, Mm -hmm. so let's let that play out and see what happens. Because you would think from other teams' perspectives, when the Cardinals are calling for free agency, those other teams would say, hey, just call us before you make your final decision, because they know they can one-up it. I ask this question with all due respect, and I will point out that I have. Have you guys reached your puke point with Paul DeYoung? Mm, That's a really good question, Randy. Because... Yes, I have. I've reached it, too. <laughs> Unfortunately, I so have we reached all have. it. So, and I think most Cardinal fans have, and I think that's one thing. Cardinals are really good about evaluating players to bring them into their system. Four of the top ten guys in Rookie of the Year, top eight guys in Rookie of the Year voting, Patrick Wisdom, Dylan Carlson, Randy Rosarena, Adolis Garcia, developed by the Cardinals. So they, they get talent, but... I think sometimes, especially in light of what happened with the Rosarena, they go too far down the line with some of their guys. You know, I also think, and this is unfair to Paul DeYoung, that some of my Paul DeYoung feelings are infused with Matt Carpenter feelings Mm -hmm. because we've seen a guy who was at a certain peak and then just couldn't find it again. And so even though what Mo said about Paul DeYoung was correct, he did deal with COVID, he was dealing with a rib injury, I think as someone that has observed the Cardinals and has gone through the Matt Carpenter experience, different player, different age, I understand the shift, all of that I understand. But I guess I'm a little bit more concerned now that a player who once had it might not be able to find it again. Paul DeYoung feels to me a lot like what Aledmus Diaz was here with the Cardinals, where you had a yeah. couple of really awesome years and you were hoping that those years came back and they never did, and you kept holding out for it. And I feel like when you're at this point with Paul DeYoung, it's to the point now where you have five guys available free agency, and then there's also a couple of players who could be available trade-wise. I just don't know if I can sit there and hold out and say, well, he had a bruised rib, and on top of it, it's been two years where you feel like you might have to move on. Yeah. And I wonder if the Cardinals, by the way, in free agency, if Verlander getting 25 might preclude the Cardinals now from going after Stroman. I have to believe Stroman's camp is going to ask for more than 25 because he pitches all the time, and Verlander hasn't for the last and He's years. younger, too. Yeah.
and he stays healthy, which is important. So, so yeah, his minimum number might be twenty five over five, which would be my math one hundred and twenty five million dollars. You're doing quick math. math. Thank you, Randy. You are good at this. What do we have coming up on BK and Ferrario, so, or in this case, Ferrario and BK? <laughs> God, see, that's what I love, and BK is going to hate that, which makes it even better. So should we call it Ferrario and BK every just, day? Yeah, just do that, just to see God. if it ticks them off. It will. Uh, no, we got Joe Vitale. I'm sorry, the Joe Vitale at 12:15, nice. talking a little blues and sharks. Uh, we got Robert Murray, uh, MLB insider. He's going to join us at 10:30, and we're going to get a little Oakland perspective from Melissa Lockard. Um, she is with the Athletic, and if you guys have been listening to BK, you know that BK is obsessed with a athletics pitcher. So we're Sean gonna, Mania? That's right. So we're going to find out how much it is to get Sean Manaya from Oakland. I love right. it. Can't wait. Can't, can't wait. A great job by our producer engineer, Andrew Marsh, today. Thank you. Absolutely. Can't wait to see Alex. I'm going to wave to him tonight at the game. Yeah. Great deal. Michelle, no, this was fun. Don't. It was. I'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> and we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Remember this as you go through your day, everybody. Bill Belichick overrated. Oh, Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.